passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Long and Winding Railroad. Episode 18, in fact, the December episode of 2021, the last episode of the year. And I was thinking, who can I get to come on this show with me and talk about a match? And I thought, you know what? I need to bring back Dylan Fox, the man who helped me talk about Toshiaki Kawada, Dangerous K himself. And I, I reached out to him. And I said, Dylan, would you be willing to come back onto the long and winding railroad? He said, WH, I love walking along that road. Of course, I'll come back. Dylan, say hi to everybody here listening to you here on postwrestling.com. As always, I have mad love for you, WH, and just as much love for post wrestling. I always got to shout out Way, John. Uh, everybody involved. I, you know, what I was doing lately, I've been listening to some, to some of your uh, Marvel podcasts as well that you've been doing. So I've really been a company man, I feel like lately. I think everybody needs to go to the feed, listen to the show, sign up to the Patreon, uh, do everything you can to support all of you guys' great work. And uh, after our last show that we did, you know, we were talking about it off, off the air. It's amazing that we're coming up on almost a year since we did that. It really does feel like it's yesterday. It's, it's crazy how time flies sometimes, but that was one of my favorite shows I've ever done. We got a lot of nice comments about it too. I know a lot, a lot of people liked it. I'm not just bragging on myself, which I'm not, I'm not ever against doing. I've never wanted to sell myself short, but I definitely enjoyed that. And uh, I hope everybody enjoys this show just as much because uh, we were talking off there. Another thing I said was I kind of viewed this show that we're about to do as kind of like a good, like extra. It's like the, the bonus edition. The, the, you know, if we were to add this show and the other show together, it would be the director's cut. It would be, the, you know, it'd be the WH cut of the, of the Kawada series. And I'm very happy for that. I uh, maybe it's like the, the, uh, the, the disc, you know, the, you get, you buy the home release, like the Blu-ray or something like that of, of like a movie. And then you get like the Kawada, the Kawada, you know, biography would be the, the main movie. And then this is like the, 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 the extra stuff the bonus scenes and, and all the deleted stuff and on, and like the commentaries and on, it's all, it's, it's, we're going to talk a lot about Kawada again. We're, we're going to get to which match we're going to talk about in a minute, but uh, I, I want to kind of ask, you know, Dylan, you, you and uh, your partner or Striga over at the Eastern Laird and uh, you know, the Eastern Laird, by the way, uh, we're going to get the plugs later, but the Eastern Laird has a wonderful Patreon and, and Dylan is doing so much audio over there. If you want to know, you know, like, Pretty much anything and everything there isn't about Japanese wrestling scene, including like 
retro stuff too, because Dylan has this project that he does on the Patreon called the nineties project, which is an amazing. Look at, look at wrestling from the nineties. Um, go sign up to the, their Patreon as well. But like Dylan, like, and this is the last show uh, of the long and winding road road for, for 2021. And I just want to get like your, you know, quick and general thoughts about what you think of, uh, you know, ProRes in the year 2021. I think it's interesting on a kind of a meta level. I think the fans and kind of observing how the fan base has taken things is more interesting than the in-ring product because you go back to a lot of the 90s stuff that I watch and that stuff, it's so good. It blows me away constantly when I see uh, all, all of the 90s projects, especially the top 10 shows. I do that with Fredo Esparza of Lucha World, but he he knows everything. He He's he's the only one besides me crazy enough to watch WCW in 2021 and like it. Um, but uh, the fans of what really, uh, Dave, what is really standing out, standing out to me in 2021 because you see how people are so passionate about stuff, whether it's New Japan, yes, but really I think the fans have really soured on New Japan as a whole, and they've started to really break off and splinter, and you see Noah, even fringe companies like DDT, Stardom has a lot of fans, and you know Dragon Gate has its own fan base. So we're, we're seeing things splinter, which is uh, in a way a, um, a very interesting thing because – for a long time, it really was just New Japan, and then you'd be kind of an outsider if you liked some of these other companies. And, you know, even All Japan, you go on Twitter, there's accounts for Dragon Gate, there's an account for All Japan, uh, there's an account for Noah. Uh, and, I, and I love all of them in different ways. So I, the fans are, have, are what is really interesting to me more so the, than the in ring products of the. Uh, each company, which have it's not like that's super super terrible, but there's ups and downs. I would say with pretty much every company, and I would say uh, none of them are really at their peak right now. But there's good things for the future and good things to look forward to coming up, and, and that's make, that makes me happy in and of itself more than anything is that we have stuff to look forward to uh, despite whatever issues we may have. And I know we, me and you, probably have a lot of the same issues with some of these companies. So that's that's what really stands out to me is the fans and what's coming up in the future. Yeah, I'm sure you and Strigo will have a pretty like in-depth yeah, year-end review show over at uh, the Eastern Layer. Absolutely, I hope you come on it. You're usually on these uh, award shows that we do. Well, well, yeah. I mean, like, we'll, we'll I'll, uh, I'll eagerly await uh, an invitation. Hopefully, I can make make a uh, work within my schedule. But yeah, I've always enjoyed talking with you and Striga about like, you know, the the year end review. I'm sure I'm going to be doing something with with John Pollock, you know, before the end of the year for uh, post wrestling as well. But but let's talk about today's match um here on the long and winding railroad and and dylan like like all other guests you get to pick the match we're going to talk about today and and let the listeners know what we're going to talk about on this particular episode yes i am so happy and I, I love your format of this one you know i've been on pretty much all of your shows you've done on uh, post wrestling and been honored too with the g1 shows uh the the liger shows uh, you know, I love doing those, but this one, you get to pick the shows and the matches, and I really enjoy that. So the match I picked, again, as I mentioned at the top, I kind of consider this episode a companion piece to the show we did before, which everyone should listen to, the Kawada special that we did. It was so, so much fun and so great to do. This match that we're talking about today was Toshiaki Kawada taking on Mitsuharu Misawa for the Triple Crown, May 1st, 1998. 
And this was All Japan's first standalone show at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, They were at the Dome before, uh, years prior, when they had the big show with WWF and New Japan all at the Dome. But this was their first standalone show. And who better to main event it than the, the main rivalry? Main rival did no and no no one on this show lost an eye or had an eye pop out, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, no. That's happened a, a couple of times. It's very, very rare in wrestling that that has happened, but it has happened a few times. And, and of course, I'm referencing the uh, famous match between Stan Hansen and Vader, who, by the way, team on this show. They they become a team. All is forgiven about Stan Hansen knocking out Vader's eye from his socket. <laughs> And they teamed to. We'll talk about the card uh, for this sh- for this uh, that was on this show, along with the main event of Masawa versus Kawada for the Triple Crown. But, but why why did you pick this match, Dylan? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about it, and I've loved pretty much the whole series that you've done, and a lot of great matches were picked. When that's the part I don't like, your guests are too smart. They're picking all these great matches. That leaves less for me to pick from. But thankfully, uh, despite all of that, this is a match I probably would have picked anyway, to be honest with you, even if everything was uh, all set. And the reason why I picked it is because after doing that big show with Kawada, it's it's well known that story-wise, not necessarily the match or the worker or blah, 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 but just for the entirety of the whole, Kawada is kind of my favorite of the four pillars, which is why I was on that show. <laughs> and at the end of the day, And this match that we're talking about, with the stakes so high, arguably the biggest show in all Japan's history, attendance-wise. But more importantly, this was the most important match for Kawada as a character and on a personal level. And that's what made me pick it, is is this was ultimately, not to say that he didn't have many great matches, not to say that he, he didn't have many great wins and great moments, but this, to me, is the pinnacle of Kawada's career from pretty much every standpoint. Right, right. I mean, I I hadn't watched this match in a long time, so when you picked it, I was like, okay, let me watch it. I'm the, like, let me see how good it is because obviously, you say Misawa versus Kawada is going to be good, and and uh, you know, I have thoughts about this match. Like, I I'm not going to say I loved it. I don't I don't I don't hate it, but I I enjoyed it. But we'll, we'll I'll get more into like how I feel about the match and like it's kind of context. And I think that's kind of an important word we're going to use in in today's show, Dylan. I think we're going to use the word context a lot because I want to kind of use this match to kind of talk about the rivalry, the history of Mitsuhara Masawa uh, versus Toshiaki Kawada. And like especially in relation to like them fighting over the Triple Crown, which is the top title in all Japan for wrestling at the time. And I would argue probably the top title in Japan, more than the IWGP title more. And then like from an in-ring standpoint, like the, the, the most coveted title in all of wrestling more than any, you know, any title in WWE or, or WCW in the nineties, um, just because of the sheer quality of matches that they stem from like uh, triple crown title matches. Especially in the 90s, I think that was absolutely true. Um, you know, and listen, the, the IWGP title is great. Uh, it had so much prestige to it, obviously. Uh, you know, this was the era of the Three Musketeers. We were kind of getting into that late 90s era at this point. And in a lot of ways, I actually kind of view this as somewhat of the last gasp of the golden era of All Japan in a lot of ways. Not necessarily in match quality, but as the tide was turning, you had stuff like... Uh, you know, Jumbo died, Baba died, 
There was turmoil in the company. And by the, you know, just a year or two from now, we were really entering a totally new era of All Japan, which uh, unfortunately for All Japan ended with the split of the company. But this is, to me, is kind of like the, the prime age of All Japan. And when you got to 99, 2000, there were great matches, but the luster was really wearing off of all of this. And I, I have some particular thoughts on Misawa in this match, even though obviously the other show is about Kawada. I think we can grade these two personally as well, uh, you know, in, in their own separate way. So I do have some thoughts on that. But this, to me, really felt like the 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 pinnacle of the golden era not necessarily the peak but the climax of an entire storyline between these two so then the triple crown i definitely agree with you from the in-ring standpoint and the prestige standpoint uh, at this point was definitely the number one title title so just a little background information uh, you know misawa and kawada had fought each other eight times for the triple crown uh they drew six Tokyo Nippon Budokan sellouts. They drew one sellout of the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium. And for this show that we're going to talk about, they drew over 50,000 people to the Tokyo Dome. Uh, though it's been noted that some people got in for free. They gave out like some, some free tickets, I think, just to, you know, get, get, uh, bring up the number a bit. But that, hey, that's pro wrestling, right, Dylan? I completely disagree. All pro wrestling attendances are real, especially in the 90s. I've never heard of anyone to lie, whether it's Inoki, whether it's Baba. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Are you saying that pro wrestling promoters and companies have been dishonest about attendance figures? No. I I, Listen, (laughs) the only people who have ever been dishonest about that are, are Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan. So... But but Japanese promoters completely honest, forth, forthrighting, forthcoming. Well, if there's uh, anyone we can trust in life, it's wrestling promoters. Yeah. <laughs> I think we we can all agree with that. But you know, Hogan, he said he drew two hundred thousand people uh, to a show in Japan. Didn't he say two hundred thousand like the Budokan or something? <laughs> Which is completely impossible. Uh, yeah, I, I mean he. I mean, like you know, I think it's well noted he was on drugs, so maybe in his mind. Is his hey, drug induced haze yeah. at the time he was thinking about 200,000 people? I, I don't know. Um, but you know, I, I in my research, Dylan, someone someone did some like math here and they said, like, with the with the Budokan sellouts, the Saka Prefecture Gymnasium sellout with the Tokyo Dome uh attendance, there that this feud, Masao versus Kawada, ha- has you know, you know, roughly drew 153,100 people to their matches paying a total of what could be well over $10 million United States in, in United States currency. And, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. And like, maybe that's not taking into account inflation. I, when this, this figure was, uh, was, uh, you know, was, was made when someone like concluded that it was over 10 million us dollars. So maybe with inflation, maybe it's like 20 million now. That's a good point. Um, you know, I, I don't have, obviously, I haven't uh, gone through the numbers to that degree. I know, I feel like Meltzer has some kind of list of million dollar gates that he's talked about. Uh, but, but cumulative the, over like the period of a, of a feud? No, I'm just saying for, for, for like per show, I, I'd be interested to know how well this Tokyo Dome show did uh, that we're about to talk about because, you know, when you consider the attendance, whatever it was, whatever, whatever the real attendance was, you have to think that they made a ton of money off of this show alone. And you think about all of their matches over the years. I mean, if, think about if you were to expand that out to all of their six mans, all their tag matches, things like that. Then, yeah, I mean, the number feels like it's limitless because of all the great success 
that all Japan had in the nineties, really based off of the back of these guys. Um, you know, Kobashi and Tawei were great wrestlers, love them to death. Uh, you know, greatest of all time and all of that. And Tawei definitely needs to be in that Hall of Fame. Uh, speaking of Meltzer, uh, I don't know what some people are talking about out there. But to me, this match, uh, this is another kind of deal. Uh, after so much turmoil that we're about to get into uh, with uh, Kawada's last couple of years, this felt like a total vote of confidence that like, hey, these are the guys in all Japan here. And this is the rivalry that defines this company and this era. So to see them and to, to hear you bring up those numbers, I'm really, I would not be surprised at all if that's uh, completely true. And if it's not true, I don't think it's very far off. Just when you combine all of their matches that they had and all the success that they had together. Listen, on a side note of what you just said there, Dylan, if Akira Tawe goes into the wrestling observer hall of fame this year, I'm taking all the credit because of the biography episode I did with uh, Dave Musgrave. It was probably... That was a great episode. It was probably the thing that people listen to, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. I know several people who vote for that thing. Why I don't have a ballot myself? I, it's a mystery. I, it's not so much a mystery. I know why. I'm not going to say why publicly. I'll tell you off the air. But okay, okay. Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, I'm going to take all the credit. Like, Kieran Cowie goes in. I get the DM from John Paul. He's like, WH, I got the Observer. Tawei's in. I'd be like, it's because of me, obviously, you know, and, th- and, th- and this particular show, you know, but anyways, but, you know, we talk, let's go back to Masao versus Kawada. You know, Dylan, as you well know, because, you know, you are well learned about the history of both, both these men, like their, their history together doesn't, you know, isn't just, you know, you know, in all Japan, it, it goes back to their childhood. Their, their high school years, because in the late 70s, both attended the same high school in, uh, in Ashikaga Kodai. And uh, Misawa was in, you know, rolled in that high school in 1978. And then Kawada came into that high school one year later in 1979. Uh, both were excellent amateur wrestlers as part of the high school wrestling team. Uh, Kawada was at the 75 kilogram uh, weight limit and Misawa was at the 87 kilogram weight limit. And, and, and they also both had a passion to become professional wrestlers. Yeah. You know, we went over that a little bit in the, in the other show, but just to briefly uh, reiterate that uh, they were really passionate for different reasons. And, uh, you know, Misawa's uh, that was another great episode you did with, uh, on Misawa with uh, Hisame. Uh, there was a lot of great information about Misawa there, but talking about his dad and the struggles that, that he had uh, going into wrestling uh, you know, that was really a great motivation. Whereas Kawada, you know, you look at their history, it, it kind of it's amazing how their storyline that everyone kind of thinks of them just in their roles in all Japan was so similar to real life where Kawada was always it felt like he was the unchosen one is kind of how I would call him compared to Misawa's golden child ace type of level. Even back then, uh, it felt that way. But yes, they were both great wrestlers in, in high school. And uh, they both definitely had a, a bright future ahead at that point. Uh, and then, you know, when, when Masawa, you know, graduated high school, he entered all Japan pro wrestling. He entered their dojo in March of 1981. And then uh, the following year at, at really the, you know, the kind of urging and behest of Masawa Kawada, instead of going to the new Japan dojo, cause he, I believe he was accepted there. Is that correct? Yes. He, he instead joined the all Japan dojo because Masao said, Hey, come over here. It's awesome. This place is like family, man. So like in March of 1982, Kawada would, would join 
all Japan pro wrestling, join their dojo system, be, be seconded to probably Tenru right away. And like having to wash his body after all the matches and like, you know, take all his clothes to the, the dry cleaners and do all the young boy shit that, you know, they have to do in Japanese wrestling. And, and, and I'm sure his life was, was never the same. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a game changer when you're washing people's backs, uh, you know, driving around, cooking them stuff. Uh, I mean, it's, it'll change your life. I, I read this, uh, this, this, uh, this tidbit from uh, the four pillars, which is, you know, just to, to break uh, the fourth wall here, that's Hisami's other account, not just she, she does the Noah account on Twitter, but she also does the four pillars account, which is awesome. I love that account. Yeah. That's uh, a great account. Everyone. We're, 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 we're Tenru is talking about like, he'd run out of money for drinking. And he, he'd get one of the young boys to go to, to go to giant Papa late at night to go grab more money for his, so he could continue drinking. And like they, it'd be usually be like Kobashi or some, or, or someone like it was usually Kobashi. He's like, Kobashi, Go, go to Baba and get some more money for me to continue drinking. He'd be like, when he be asleep? No, he's reading. He's reading. He reads until 2 a.m. in the morning or something. He's still awake. Go, go, go there and then come back and bring me some more money to drink. I think that's awesome. Tenru, what a, what a, what a worker. Absolutely love Janitro Tenru. Uh, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time as well. And uh, I, for all intents and purposes, pretty much everybody who worked with him in war, uh, says he was a great boss. So I'm sure he had many, many times ahead, not just with the young boys in the eighties, but even into the nineties, I'm sure he was very popular with many of the wrestlers. I, I think he, it continues to this day. Many people will do uh, Tenru's like uh, pr- produce shows and, and because they all have a love and respect for Genitro Tenru, but, but let's, let's jump ahead and to uh, let, let's jump ahead about uh, let's see uh, eight years the date is May 14th, 1990, and this is a very important match for Masawa that, that Kawada is a part of. And what happens in this match? Yeah, nothing important. It wasn't that important. No, no I'm just kidding. Uh, this is the part where Misawa, remember, he was wrestling as Tiger Mask 2 for the, the last few years um, of his career in all Japan. He had an excursion in Mexico. Definitely recommend going back and listening to our other show for this part, too, because there was a lot of good info on Kawada's excursion and the differences between Misawa and Kawada specifically. But finally, after Tenru left, uh, the, the man who we just talked about how everybody loved, the one man who didn't love him was Giant Baba, who publicly swore that he would never wrestle in all Japan again because he left to go upon this, uh, take advantage of this money mark uh, who uh, ran this glasses company and started SWS. And Baba was super pissed about it. And he realized, hey, I need new main eventers. So he started this storyline with Misawa ripping off the mask. Kawada actually took the mask off for him. Misawa throws the tiger mask into the crowd. I am not tiger mask. I am Misawa. And that is what started pretty much the hottest storyline in all Japan history. That's right. And, but like, it's, it's, it just goes to show you like how, how Kawada is so pivotal to some of the biggest moments in Misawa's career. And then let's jump a, a, another year ahead into the future. And then, and then uh, on July 24th, 1991, the team of Misahara Misawa and Toshiaki Kawada, the super generation army, they win their first of uh, a couple of, uh, you know, all Japan world tag team titles, this uh, beating the miracle violence connection of Terry Gordy and Dr. Death, Steve Williams. And then uh, August 22nd, 1992, Masawa wins the triple crown for the first time, uh, defeating a uh, stand, uh, stand Larry Hansen. 
And, uh, and, and then as well, uh, on September 9th of that year, to determine Misawa's first challenger for the Triple Crown, Dylan, it was Akira Tawe, uh, Kenna Kobashi. No, wait. Or, no, it was Kawada. Kawada and Tawe. Just, I thought, not a three-way. Kawada and Tawe. We're going to get to three ways later. Kawada and Tawe have a match. And it determined the first challenge of Masao. And it is, it is Ta- Kawada who wins. He submits Tauway. And then, so now, and they're still tag team partners at this time, right, Dylan? Yes. Uh, you know, I, this is something very interesting because I don't think we actually got into this that much. So I'm going to kind of raise this question to you now. Because if there are any listeners to uh, our Patreon on there, me and Fredo always kind of come back to this point, especially in the early 90s. Is Kawada and Misawa... Uh, like as great or better than uh, Kawada and Tawe as a tag team, because the only thing I feel like they miss is the longevity that Kawada and Tawe had. But Kawada as a baby face is way underrated, like compared to his, uh, you know, once he turned on the super generation army, I uh, like once when he was teaming with Kawada, he really did a lot for that team. If you look at their tag matches, many of them would follow a distinct format of, oh, let's say Misawa had a big injury, like a nose injury or something like that. And he would sell it and he would get knocked out of the ring. And then Kawada would spend the entire match selling and he would just do some great, great work. And they were a truly tremendous and underrated team because obviously Kawada had more success with Tawe and Misawa obviously had more success with everything he did uh, pretty much. But uh, they are a truly underrated and amazing tag team. I really recommend them. Uh, recommend everybody listening go back and watch some of their work because I think you'll be very surprised at just how uh, good they are. And they they continued up to this point. Uh, you know. Well, I, I you know to answer your question, I I think that you know I think you have made made a good point. You know that that you know they don't have the longevity of of the Holy Demon Army. But I will say this: I think Kawada and Masawa is a better tag team than Masawa and Kobashi. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, maybe the personal history of the two really uh, lends into that because I, I thought they were really kind of underrated because they never really get brought up as one of the greatest tag teams. But if you look at their run, it's like it was all hits, man. And <laughs> like all, oh, yeah. all beggars for them. And they're, and they're like fighting, you know, MVC. They're fighting, you know, Jumbo and Tawe multiple times. And those are all bangers, you know. So it, it's, it, they have a like in the short time that they're a tag team, they have like some a pretty amazing selection of matches that you could go and watch and just like amaze it. Like, no, they're, they were a great tag team. I just think for me personally, like, you know, where Tawe and, and Kawada are, are kind of like a team of equals, like it's clearly Masawa is, you know, the, 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 the boss, the, the captain of the team, you yeah. know, and Kawada is, is his sidekick kind of more, more than, you know, than his partner per se, because and this isn't this is an element that comes up so much so much in their history together, both you know on on screen in the ring and then behind the scenes in real life is that you know Kawada is Masawa's kohai, he's his junior. Masawa is the senpai, he's the senior. He's the guy who has seniority even by a year over over Kawada, and so I think that plays out in a lot of their dynamics in, in their matches as a tag team, and whereas I think when you see Kawada and Tawe, it's it's very much these guys are are equals. They're, Kawada's not necessarily the captain. He's the bigger star of the team uh, in the in, in the Holy Demon Army, but he's not he's not, like, Tawe's not his sidekick. Tawe's his partner. Yeah, I completely agree with that, and that's, I think, why they lasted much longer. Their legacy is much bigger 
than uh, Misawa and Kawada. You know, as it turned out, just Misawa and Kawada, I think pretty much everyone agrees are better as enemies uh, anyway than, than friends. Like even the, them together are more known for their matches against each other than as tag team partners. So yeah, I, I, what you said is true. It's a classic formula in Japanese wrestling, especially like to like if the promoter, like in this case, John Baba was like, okay, these two are going to be rivals, but first I'm going to make them a tag team. He did that with Jumbo and Tenru you know, earlier, you know, in, in the history of all Japan, then you see the same thing happen. Like, you know, a, a kind of more recent example would be like, you know, new Japan knew they wanted Nakamura, Shisuke Nakamura and, to, and, and, uh, uh, Tana, Hiroshi Tanahashi to be rivals in the future. So they made them tag team partners and tag team champions first. And then they'd be like, okay, now you're going to be eternal rivals with one another. And, you know, so like, this is a very, similar, you know, formula that Giant Baba employs, you know, like in, in terms of creating the, this dynamic with Misawa and Kawada that he's going to play off of like for years to come for pretty much a whole entire decade, almost like we're going to yeah. see this dynamic play out. I will say one thing that makes those circumstances a little bit different in this case is the unique circumstances of all Japan at this time, because as I just mentioned, when we were talking about the Tiger Mask thing, that really got pushed forward because Tenru left at the end of the day. And Kawada turning on, uh, you know, and not, not to say that they wouldn't have ended up together eventually anyway, but remember, this was right around when Jumbo got taken out of the picture and Tawei needed a tag partner. So Kawada was the natural choice. You know, like what well, it would have been very interesting to see if, if Kobashi had been the one to, to turn and join uh, Tawei. But obviously, considering how things played out so well, you, you can't doubt it. But I think we, you know, it's I think things would have happened a little bit differently if Jumbo had been fully healthy at that time. Kawada would have stayed along with Misawa for a, a bit longer. Definitely, definitely. But they they are going to collide on uh, All Japan's 20th anniversary show on October 21st, 1992. And, you know, this date, 10-21-92, with, you know, a lot of people, you know, experts of, of All Japan Pro Wrestling of, of the 90s period would say, like, 10-21-92 would set the standard and of, like, what would become the classic, you know, 90s All Japan main event style. Uh, lots of high spots, stiff strikes big bombs and, and head dropping suplexes and, and just, but along with that, Dylan, just like this amazing storytelling and psychology throughout all these matches, but it, like Kawada and Misawa set the standard basically with their 10, 21, 92 match. Yeah. You know, I, I love that match a lot. Really all of their matches are varying degrees of awesome. I, I would say, uh, you know, maybe you like one better than the other or, you know, five better than the other. But to me, that match was so great. Uh, you know, I loved that. Uh, this was really the spot where, to, uh, you know, I think it's worth mentioning too, where this was really when Kawada was showing that he can be on Misawa's level which is interesting. We're about to talk about a match from six years later, which he still can't quite reach that level up to this point. But that was really the first time that it felt like, hey, he's catching up to Misawa. He is on the same level. He might not be completely as good, but uh, the, they are on the same level now. And I think that's the match that really set for their personal story that uh, really pl played into it. And also, if you can go back and watch that match, the crowd was completely behind Kawada in that match and not Misawa, which is another telltale sign of where they were going. Uh, a year later, on uh, July 29th, 1993, they are, they are again facing off against each other for the Triple Crown. But this time, you know, they're now enemies because Kawada has left 
the Super Generation Army. He's now teaming with with Akira Tawe in the Holy Demon Army, and and Kobashi has become Masao's main tag partner. Um, what what do you just quickly your thoughts on seven twenty nine ninety three? Oh, uh, another big match, uh, I would say. You know, you think about um, their series. I think it was good to see this, but this was around the point, too. I thought their tag work was so strong at this point that it kind of even overshadowed some, like this singles match. Uh, this was a great match, don't get me wrong, but I loved their tag match from the month prior as well. But there, there's so many great matches, it's hard to even uh, pick one over the other. But this this was a really strong match. And one, another very interesting one to pick on your part because it really is another kind of the start of a new chapter for them with Kawada now uh, as a true enemy of Misawa rather than a partner. And then uh, another year later on, uh, on uh, June 3rd, 1994 at the Nippon Budokan uh, Kawada versus Misawa again. And, and uh, you know, the, for me, like, I don't know what you think about this match, Dylan, but for me, I think this is the match that I think Kawada should have won and beat Masawa for the first time for the Triple Crown. Yeah, you know, that was that to me is one of the greatest matches of all time, legitimately. And kind of the one, I think, if you were a fan of Japanese wrestling, maybe not even there, but just if you were a tape trader, started watching later on, whenever you started watching, if you just say that when you know a match is really good, when you can just mention the date and everyone thinks of it, when you say June 3rd, 94, everybody thinks of Misawa versus Kawada. Um, in terms of who should have won, again, I think we really briefly touched on this, uh, not too much on the other show, but I will say this. I thought that you are totally right. <laughs> and like when you look at the story, and this is kind of going to play into my overall point on Misawa at, at the end of all of this, for the story of not just Kawada, but for the overall good of all Japan, I think it would have been so much better to have uh, to elevate Kawada to that level of finally getting that win over Misawa much sooner than it actually happened. Regardless of whatever we think about this match and the moment and all of that, if he had won in 94, I think it would have been better for everybody involved, perhaps even Misawa at the end of it. If you look at the end of the decade, how things were trending, but I definitely agree with you. If it were up to me uh, and Baba, amazing booker, I would never you know, disparage him or make any negative comments on Baba. But this is one of his bigger mistakes. And I mean, it was, you know, it still wasn't that much of a mistake considering things still played out pretty well, all things considered. But this is definitely one that I always look at and say, hmm, I really think Kawada should have won. So I do agree with you, WH. I mean, we have the benefit of hindsight. I mean, we're looking at this from a lens of like decades have passed. You know, since like the the last match these guys had, you know, in in, in Pro Wrestling Noah, and we're going to talk about that briefly as well near the end. But I, I do think, like, you know, in hindsight, looking back, like with kind of more like kind of a critical eye, with with kind of more of an academic lens, so to speak, like you can you can argue, and I think successfully, like that this is where Kawada should have ascended to be his equal. And his true rival in in every aspect of the word, instead of being kind of like that guy that was underneath. But to, to I think for for Baba, one of his big philosophies as a booker and a promoter was was the chase is is everything, right? So he here it's it's you know it, it's playing out with with Kawada and Misawa. But you know it's it's not all bad news for Kawada in 1994 because October 22nd he he would win the Triple Crown for the first time. 
from from Dr. Dave Steve Williams from from someone who Steve Williams like has said like hey we hated each other legit <laughs> yes yes we went into that <laughs> as well but yes it's amazing how that happens sometimes where you know sometimes if you're outside of the ring chemistry isn't that great it can also lead to great matches in the ring somehow just a little bit more intensity a little bit more fire and I thought in general, uh, 94 was uh, Dr. Death's best year uh, as a wrestler. So he was firing on all cylinders uh, and Kawada getting that, that win was really good. But and that's another thing to see, to see him win it later on, I think is a little bit of a disappointment and it kind of plays into Kawada's overall story. And I think to not defend Baba, but just to kind of uh, state the lineage of all Japan in general at this time. You always think about the wrestlers being color-coded, right? Taui with the red, Kobashi with the orange, Masao with the green, Kawada with the black and yellow. And I think that in a lot of ways, their roles are very similar to that way. Misawa's role was of the ace of the company. And to see him lose to a native like that and to show any kind of signs of slowing down, I don't think Baba really wanted. And Kawada's story was as the guy who was below Misawa, and he wanted to continue those stories. Kobashi was the fiery guy, so so emotional and everything he did. The fans loved him. Taue, the big guy, kind of like Baba's spiritual successor in a lot of ways. So they each had their individual roles, and I don't think Baba was re- really ready to change that or divert from that path at this point. Uh, you're, you, I think that's a really excellent point there. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Kawada's, uh, you know, first Triple Crown reign would, would end on March 4th, 1995. He would lose the title to Stan Hansen. But this this kind of like Hansen reign was kind of more like Hansen was the transitional champ as he would go on to lose the Triple Crown uh, on May 26th to, to Mitsuhara Misawa. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's really interesting. Like, you know, Misawa wouldn't win the triple crown from Kawada, you know, at this time, but like Kawada can't win the title from Masala and Masala for whatever reason, he doesn't, he, Baba didn't want him to lose the title to, to Masala, like Kawada to lose the title to Masala. So he had Stan Hansen beat him. And, and this is really, you know, kind of like the tail end of like Hansen's peak. Cause he's pretty much, you know, all the, all that style, Wrestling the way he did for like the last 20 years has, has pretty much cut, cut up to him by 1995. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, Stan Hansen, love him. <laughs> I, I think, is there anyone who thinks Stan Hansen sucks? Like, literally. Uh, what just, are you just, doing? Just, just people who are dumb. <laughs> I, and I, it, like, and there, we know that there are some dumb people out there when it comes to wrestling, but that's the one thing that i don't think i've ever seen like who seriously says ah oh, stan hansen's overrated i've never seen that i like not from one person who said ah oh, hansen he sucks why does everybody like him you know all four of the pillars have detractors in some way or fashion and i think pretty much everyone agrees they're great on some level but you see misawa people can bring up criticisms kawada criticism kobashi was you know chop bashi became kind of a thing with him Tawei man uh, gets ripped all the time super unfairly but hansen i don't think i've ever really seen anybody say ah hansen he's no good i mean i i gotta i gotta say i you know i can't I can't recall ever seeing that kind of criticism about Stan Hansen online. And, and why would you? Because he is, as you say, he is great. I love Stan Hansen as, as a wrestler as well. But I, I wouldn't I, associate with someone like that anyway. So, so that is one, one nah, thing. No, nah, me neither. Me neither. Um, uh, but this brings us to like another 
famous date in wrestling history, Dylan. Uh, you, you know, you, you talk about, you say the date, or you even just say the numbers, and people know exactly what you're talking about if they're, if they're wrestling fans. And this, and this brings us to 6, 9, 95. Many people call this the greatest tag team match of all time. One of, one of the greatest matches in general of all time. Maybe some people even say this is the greatest match of all time. I, I don't know if I would go that far myself, but it is, I think, the greatest tag team match of all time, you know, not some cosplaying bullshit that we see in wrestling in the last couple of years. You know, this is actually a true great greatest tag team match of all time. And, and, it, and it's notable for our, for our purposes, for our context, Dylan, because this is where Kawada pins Misawa for the first time. Yes, and yet again, the match of the year to 90s Project listeners. This was number one for 95. Uh, 6394 was number one for 94. And they followed up again uh, with the match of the year. And, and as you said, one of the greatest matches of all times for sure. And too many people, like you said, they would put it up there. Number one, I think the same is true for 94 as well, you know. Uh, but this match was so important for Kawada. And I think, again, I don't want to speak for Baba, obviously, or anything like that. But I think the way he's mapped this out, and you mentioned him not dropping the title to Misawa, instead kind of having these transitional flip-floppy title reigns with, you know, because Misawa had that long title reign and really established him as the ace. And then you had short-term reigns for, you know, Kawada, Doc Death, Hanson. And now we're getting back to, to Misawa. And this win was meant to be Kawada's moment. Uh, obviously, we we wanted it to be the year prior. I think he wanted this to be his a total triumph of finally beating Misawa. Although I think that for a, a couple of reasons, I don't think it quite quite um, you know it quite it didn't quite reach that peak. A good, good comparison, I guess, in a an interesting way, not exactly the same, but I think a fair one is when Naito beat Okada at the Dome in the second time, and that it was very good, but. It felt like a consolation prize, considering where, uh, like, all the pieces felt like they were in play the first time or in place the first time. And the second time was still great. And this win was great in an all time great tag match, but it didn't quite have quite the oomph that it did, that it would have a year prior in a singles match. No, and, and like that, that would lead that, that victory over Masawa in the tag match would lead to, you know, like uh, July 25th, 1995 at uh, the Budokan Hall. Kawada versus Masawa. And you would think like the momentum of beating him in that classic tag team match would, would propel him to win the triple crown for Masawa at this match. But no, that, that didn't happen. Masawa defeated Kawada. And again, like I, again, like if it's not going to be the 94 match, then it should have been this match that Kawada beat Masawa for all the reasons that you just laid out a couple of minutes ago. This was a big fumble in, in my in my opinion. Uh, to immediately go back on it, I definitely was not a huge uh, fan of at all. Looking back, and as you said, at the end of the day, even when I first watched these matches ten years ago or whatever, that's still fifteen twenty years beyond where this actually happened at. So we are looking back in hindsight. But to me, even at the time, I'm pretty sure I'd have thought like. What? <laughs> you know, when, when this happened, uh, you know, so I really totally agree with you. I think this was a, a actually kind of even worse than, than the 94 one because it halted the momentum that he could have had. And I get I get it about the roles and all of that, as, as I mentioned, the point I made before. But after you have him win, I think it's time to shift gears a little bit again, not just for Kawada. 
But for the entire company, I think it would have benefited from a little bit more. But, you know, Baba, one thing about him, too, is he is a notoriously conservative booker. And he valued Misawa at that level. And it's hard to blame him, considering Misawa is also one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And many people would say he is the greatest wrestler of all time. So it's not like I'm saying, oh, what a crazy decision this was uh, to favor Misawa so much. And, you know, on a, on a positive side as well, again, it played into their character so much. As I said, Kawada, the unchosen one. It's like even when it all makes sense for him to be the guy, for whatever reason, he still can't quite get that love and quite can't quite get over the hump. Well, I mean, you talk about he can't get the love from Giant Papa. You know, I think that's really epitomized two years later on April 19th, 1997, where we get the finals of the champion carnival for that year. And and it's not a singles match, Dylan, to, to determine the winner. It's three singles matches <laughs> because we have a three-way tie for the top spot. Mitsuhara Misawa, Toshiaki Kawada, and Kenna Kabashi. And, and the way this is booked, okay, so the way this is booked is that um, Misawa and Kobashi, uh, you know, they lost the draw. They have to face each other, and they go to a 30-minute time limit draw. They're exhausted. They, they, they gave it all in this match against each other. And then, you know, right after that match, who comes in? A fresh Toshiaki Kawada, and he destroys Misawa in just over six minutes. But who cares? Because like Masawa just wrestled Kobashi for 30 minutes. So like, well, who cares? Like, of course, Kawada is going to beat him. And then Kobashi comes back to the ring and Kobashi takes about 21 minutes to destroy him as well. Not destroy him, but he beats him and to win his second champion carnival. And like, to me, this is like, what the fuck is this? This is bullshit. Like Kawada's first singles win, you know, over Masawa was after Masawa was like totally destroyed. This is like a total Triple H move. <laughs> you know what I mean? I I I look at this. I still think like I still think about this match, this cir- these circumstances, and I think what a, what a horrible way to book Kawada. Oh yeah. Uh, again, I, I feel like I definitely mentioned this. I can't say for sure, but this always stands out to me as just this was a huge screw up by, by Baba. And, I, and I'm sorry, I don't want to be smirch your name, Baba, but you definitely made a mistake with, with this whole deal. I thought it was so insane to blow his singles victory in this way. I thought this was like, we're going to get into this match, uh, you know, in, in a little bit. But this, this triple threat bullcrap deal, gauntlet or whatever they did, was such a huge letdown and I think really followed Kawada all the way up to where we're going to because it was such a it was such an insane way to go about it to have him win in this fashion, this completely dumb and meaningless fashion, and you blow a storyline you've been working on for literally seven years at this point. <laughs> this is all built up to, and you just wasted on this. Can you imagine if, uh, like, imagine if, like, Okada had never beaten Tanahashi. And then just this year, he finally beats him in like a five minute match in a triple threat bullcrap Gato, uh, you know, type of deal. Okada's career path would have been so much different and so much worse than how they did it. I just I I was truly mind boggled, but it is worth mentioning. Again, we go more in depth on this for sure. Um, Kawada had some 
political issues at the time, uh, you know, through 96 and through 97. So uh, he had a little bit of heat on him backstage, which uh, if this was supposed to be punishment, then great job. Well, it's <laughs> like, well, it's like, what, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Like, uh, it's cutting off your nose to spite your own face, right? That's what, that's what Bob was doing. Yeah, I know. It was like, it was Kawada like complaining, like, why aren't we doing interpromotional? Why are we just, you know, keeping our isolationist policy is like Which he was right. And Bob, oh, he's totally right. When Bob brought, brought in the FNW guys, not like later this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, like he was right, but like that's, you know, that's the, where the theoretical like heat was from, where he, how dare you speak against Baba, you know, and I'm not trying to be yes. much giant Baba. I love giant Baba, but you know, we all like, love Baba. Hey, yes. hey, he's not, he's, he's human too. He's, he was not perfect as a, as a booker or, or as a, or as a person either. But, um, you know, like then, but that, that of course leads us to, of course, Kawada being the triple, you know, the champion carnival winner, he gets the title shot against. Masao again for the Triple Crown, like on uh, G- June 6th, 1997 at, at Budokan Hall again. And, and you know, like, hey, again, why doesn't he win the title here? He should have won the title here. You know, after that, I think that Champion Carnival win was such a like, like a dud moment. It would have been kind of hard. Like all the other ones I agree with. I think the, the Champion Carnival win was so lackluster. It really hurt him. And hurt his momentum. So uh, I think if he had won the title here, and ultimately I think this, what we're about to talk about is much better than if he had won it there, because we have this huge venue and this huge stage set up for it. If it was just a Budokan show after what had happened, if it was just random Budokan on its own, yes, I love it. And, you know, that would have been great. But I think after the the champion carnival debacle that that was, which all Japan (laughs) would later continue to continue their debacle in 2021 with another triple threat bullcrap scenario, which has also hurt one of their (laughs) champions uh, to this day in Jake Lee. But uh, after that, I just I I would have not put the title on him after that, to be honest. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. I I just think at some point it should have happened before. The match we're going to talk about, and that's of course. Yeah, uh, I think first. it was already too late. Uh, it's already <laughs> too late. Sure, yeah, sure. It was. It was already too late a year prior to when they did it, uh, which is a kind of a damning point in and of itself. And that that brings us to the next Triple Crown Challenge, May first, nineteen ninety eight, Kawada versus Masao, the main event of of the All Japan twenty fifth anniversary show. And uh, yeah, this is located, this show emanates from the Tokyo Dome. It's their first standalone show, as you were saying, Dylan. The attendance is listed at being 58,300 people. Yeah, legit. I don't know. Gate around $4 million. They were hanging uh, from the rafters. W- United <laughs> States dollars. Legit. I, I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? By the way, I'm getting all this information from the, the wonderful site known as Cage Match. And 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 so you know if Cage Match says it's, it's these figures, then it must be true, right, Dylan? Uh, no, <laughs> not not the it's Cage Match, just because of Japanese wrestling in, in the nineties. I think no no source can, can be considered completely reliable at this point. But I would love to know the legit dollar amount of this uh, this show in particular. I mean, it, it felt like it was about as hot of uh, of a dome, you know, just in terms of. The show itself, I mean, if you look at this card, we're probably going to run down this card, right, uh, in a second. And if you look at this card, it wasn't that great of a show, to be honest with you. Outside of the main event, they really banked everything on Kawada and, Mis- and Misawa. 
And it's very interesting that they would do it this way, uh, considering where they were just a year prior, as we mentioned, with the craziness of the, of the Champion Carnival. And now we're all the way here. And it was such a, a you know, a trying time, it felt like. You know, they, they were starting to do something a little bit different. This is kind of the point I was making when we were talking about Kawada's heat, is he did get heat for that. But we're, Baba himself was smart enough to know that maybe there was a wisdom in what Kawada was saying because he was starting to bring in the outsiders, whether it was uh, the FMW. He accepted Hase into All Japan, who was now on this show. Uh, he was bringing in like UWF guys like, to, to be on the roster as well, like Takayama and, and so to speak. So like he was bringing in a lot of different guys and not just being this isolationist co- company as he was in the past. And I think it was necessary because as I said, the show just wasn't that hot outside of the main event. Well, let's take a look at this, this card. So let's start at the beginning of the show. Singles match. Satoru Asako defeats Yoshinobu Kanemaru in six minutes, 26 seconds. Uh, Manuaki uh, Mossman defeats Daisuke Ikeda uh, from Battle Arts uh, in 10 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, Six-man tag team match. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jumbo Saruta, Mitsuo Momoda, and Rusher Kimura defeat Haruka Aigen, Masanobu Fuchi, and Siyoshi Kikuchi. Wow. Hey, not to cut you off a little bit, but I, 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 this match totally stuck out to me because I had no idea Jumbo was on, on this show uh, all the way in 98. I was so surprised by that, um, you know, considering where his health was at the time. And it makes me really happy to know that he did get to... Uh, he was in the Dome on the other show that they did, obviously. But to see him be on this show for an All Japan, uh, that did make me really happy to see yeah, it's really cool. And like the, the fact that he's on opposite sides of Fuchi is, is pretty interesting as well. Um, a tag team match, the Headhunters, like these one of the uh, FMW teams, you, you know, or FMW towns that you're talking about. Headhunter A and Headhunter B, very creative names, uh, defeat Shigeo Okamura and uh, Taman Honda in nine minutes and 24 seconds. Uh, Johnny Smith and Wolf Hawkfield defeat Ghetto and Jado. Whatever happened to those two? Anything? Do they succeed in this business uh if they did i try not to pay attention to them so i'm, I'm not the right person that so yes they they lose in 12 minutes and 31 seconds six-man tag team match akira tawe your favorite wrestler uh masao inoue and takao mori omori what <laughs> defeat uh hideki hosaka tetsuhiro kuroda and mike awesome aka like the gladiator in 17 minutes and 43 seconds yeah, aren't you? you you're the, the biggest Masao Inoue fan in the world, right? I, you say this as I'm wearing my Takao Omori shirt <laughs> right, right now. Um, in a way, he's probably one of the worst wrestlers to, to ever come out of all Japan, uh, I would say. Although he did have one great match versus Akiyama in, in Noah. So I, I will say that. Uh, but no, I definitely do not consider him <laughs> one of my personal favorites. I'm sure someone out there is, though. I, we, we need to figure out who loves Masao Inoue. No, we don't. I, I want to meet these people who are big Inoue fans. <laughs> I uh, support you. No matter who your favorites are, I support you. At the- I, I don't. If you if you support Masao Inoue, I don't want to know who you are, and I do not support you. Dylan Dunn's a far more generous person than I am. But I no. Anyways, the Triangle of Power. Gary Albright and Steve Williams. What a great tag team name. <laughs> Just amazing. I think Steve Williams was part of some really interesting tag teams that had great tag team names. Miracle Violence Connection, the Varsity Club, the, the Triangle of Power. You know? I mean, and, and even Dr. Death is such a great 
name when you think about it. So uh, clearly his name game was on point and his tag team game was also on point uh, there. Even in 98, he I wonder how he was doing. When was this? When did he go to WWF uh, anyway? Because I feel like this was around the time he was uh, either going there or I think uh, he was. Yeah, him and Albright were had a, did have a run as a tag team. Right. And I think this is like soon after that, like him, him going to WWF is like pretty much soon after, after this yeah, disastrously. So, you know. Oh yes. A very, very bad. Uh, I, we, we will not talk about Steve Williams. Yeah. Uh, I don't even want to think about like some of the stuff, stuff he was doing on raw with Jim Ross at the time. Oh, terrible. Uh, but he'll heal JR, which oh, would, a, a gimmick that would go over much better in 2021. I feel like, cause uh, <laughs> he has way more heat with the fans than he did in 1998. Well, this is true. Yes. Uh, but the triangle power defeat, uh, Masahiro Kakihara and Yoshihiro Takayama in 15 minutes and eight seconds, a six man tag team match. This is, I love this, this team, giant Baba, Hayabusa and Katara Shika. Taking on the team of Giant Kimala, Jin Shinzaki, and Jun Izumita, who is, uh, you know, the Japanese version of Giant Kimala, um, in 20 minutes and 19 seconds. What what an odd combination of Giant Baba and Hayabusa together. Everything about this match is just nuts. <laughs> it feels like all six of these people have no reason to to be together at all outside of maybe Hayabusa and Shinzaki obviously but even then they're in such a wacky teams on each side it it really doesn't make any sense but I do love that Shiga got to have a little bit of a stand-up moment teaming with Hayabusa and Baba uh Jun Akiyama defeats Hiroshi Hase in 20 minutes and uh, 26 minutes and 35 seconds and our semi-main event was the team of uh, global energetic and tough that's right Johnny Ace and Ken Kobashi, and they took on the dream team of Stan Hansen and Vader, and they defeated them in 22 minutes and 12 seconds. And uh, I cannot remember if I've ever seen this match, but I'm sure at some point I'm going to review it. Yes, and I hope you do. I have seen it uh, before. You know, I've seen both of these matches. You know, when we were talking about it, we actually pushed our recording schedule back a week. And during that time, I made sure to, to watch these extra matches that I could see. And then the two I watched were the top three matches. I don't even know if you could find that crazy match uh, with Baba online. Although I would love to see it. If the Jumbo match or the Baba match is out there somewhere, I would love to see it. Um, that was actually Vader's debut in All Japan as well, uh, was uh, in that tag team match. And what a great way to do it. Uh, you have to love... He's uh, Vader's another guy with WWF run. This is when... Um, you remember uh, Bradshaw was in like the tag league this year at all with, 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 with Barry Windham, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the new blackjacks, the new blackjacks. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so yes, WWF and all Japan were closely aligned somehow in, in 1998, uh, just completely different world. But everything you could say is, uh, first of all, on that singles match with Akiyama and Hase, I really liked the, just the idea of that. Hase was like my favorite worker at the time in, of all the New Japan guys, uh, or at least especially the New Japan heavyweights. And the fact that they wrestled that match, Akiyama was the perfect person to wrestle him. But to do such a different style, because that match was much more in line with the New Japan style of wrestling than the King's Road style. So uh, I, I really appreciated that, getting some spotlight. And as far as the semi-main event, if you ever have this trivia question 
you can say it here. In All Japan's Tokyo Dome show, their biggest show in the history of their company, Johnny Ace was in the semi-main event. Hey, he is Mrs. Baba's favorite wrestler, dude. You know, that, that, counts, Clearly. For, that counts for something. So there you go. Um, so yes, and this brings us to our main event for the Triple Crown, Toshiaki Kawada challenges Mitsuharu Misawa. And uh, since Kawada and Misawa had a 30-minute draw, in the uh, champion carnival a month before it was stipulated that this match would not have a time limit assuring fans they they would see a winner and a clear-cut loser in this match so let's get into this match kawada versus masawa from uh may 1st 1998 from the tokyo dome so we start off the match uh masawa comes into the match uh having defended the triple crown in this current reign eight times this is more than any previous champion, Dylan, even more than his epic two-year reign from 92 to 94, where he defended that title seven times. Uh, he also came into the match with like a, a slew of injuries, it seems. Um, and this would explain, like, and they, his injuries were so bad that after this match, he would go on to miss the next two tours for All Japan. Yeah, and you know, that was a big part of the match and how it was worked. And it was clearly no secret going into it that Misawa was very hurt here. And that was a big part of the story. After the prior month going to the draw, it gave this match that we're about to talk about a little bit of a different feel compared to the other ones. And the other ones are probably more legendary, again, in terms of, like, star ratings and, and things like that and match quality. But the injury to Misawa opened the door for this match to, to be what it was for Kawada's in. I will say that I thought that, uh, first of all, his theme music, this version of his theme was his best, uh, remix. And he had like three different versions of Holy War 21. Uh, this is my favorite one, uh, the 98 version. Uh, he, he just comes out very basic. He's in, you know, his uh, robe. He really seems like a legit badass fighter when he's walking out. There definitely was a buzz that this match was going to be something different, not just in terms of how they worked the match on a critical eye level, but obviously the how this match would play out in terms of the result of it. Well, as you say, you know, Kawada does look badass. He is the challenger, so he comes out first. And uh, holding the ropes for him is a very young Naomi Chimara Fuji. I, I love watching these old matches to see who the young boys are. And I spotted, you know, Takeshi Morishima, I, I, you know, like tons of people. We're going to talk about them. Um, Misawa is a triple crown champion, comes out next. And uh, as both are in the ring, we have the title proclamation done by the legendary Lord James Blears, who is like a dear friend of uh, Jan Baba's, who had this role as the person who read the title proclamation for, for many years. Yes, and I love that. I, I absolutely love that it made the, the matches all feel super important. Lord James Bleers is totally awesome, in my opinion, and I that's something I wish they would bring back, even if it wasn't him, if it was just some legendary figure of some sort that could do these proclamations. It really made the Triple Crown feel like that main title. This is something I always bring up. You know, we kind of mentioned modern wrestling earlier. Never mind the wrestling, which I think in general, the in-ring work is at a very high level, uh, you know, across the board. 
uh, even though we have some differences of, uh, you know, quality sometimes. I think one thing that has really gone down recently is the aesthetic quality. I always mention that, when, you know, when you won the, tr- the Champion Carnival before, you get the big check. You get a ton of trophies. Same with the G1. Nowadays, it's like you get a, a like this dinky little tr- trophy that doesn't seem prestigious at all. And it's like, what happened? This stuff is so cool. It makes the match feel important. And James Bleard, uh, he comes out with this uh, Dumb and Dumber suit that he has on, all with the blue. I, I loved everything about this whole intro. That's great. I, you know, like, you know, Stan Hansen used to, used to do these title proclamations, you know, before he, you know, you know, just couldn't, didn't want to come to Japan anymore, like that often to, to, to do these. He just got to Japan just to do these triple crown title proclamations for like, you know, the Mudo period of all Japan, you know, with Kojima on top and then Kawada in there still. But it, it, I do agree. I think like having someone, do the title proclamation is is a very important thing and it should it should be like an ex-wrestler i feel as well but i yeah, want to talk very quickly about the corner man in, in okay. each guy's you know respective sides of the ring so kawada's corner we have makoto hashi takao mori and and again your favorite wrestler masao Yohei. where where did this rumor start huh? uh, uh in masao's corner uh mano mossman aka taiokea uh, Satoru Asako and Kentaro Shiga, which is interesting because, like, you know, like Shiga is basically going to jump jump over and become a member of Burning in, in, in a couple of months, I think, and, and be, be Kobashi's, you know, guy in the corner. And he was a great one all the way into Noah as a great partner, along with Hashi, Hashi who would eventually become Akiyama's a right-hand man, so to speak. Uh, so lots of great talent here. I kind of forgotten in the modern age, they don't really get talked about as much, but I thought Shiga was a really good, you know, I'm not going to say like a main event level talent or anything, but good mid-card guy. I kind of like how Yoshihashi is in New Japan now. I kind of see him in a, a similar way, and even more so with Hashi, who I thought was a fantastic wrestler uh, he would grow into. So lots of great talent, uh, as well as Masao in a way, who, who was also at ringside. Of course, our, our referee is, of course, the legendary Kyo Iwata. This is like when Kyo Iwata is the best referee in all of wrestling across the world. Yes, uh, much different than he is now. Yes, uh, but, but yes, a huge fan of Iwata at this time. He, even though I am not always kind to him in the modern era, a great, tremendous performer at the time. I thought he added so much. That's another thing. Again, I think... More than anything else, the aesthetics of wrestling was so good in the 90s and set things at such a high bar. And to that point, I'm going to ask your opinion on something, WH. What did you think of the setup for this Tokyo Dome for All Japan? Because it was basically, you know, you look at the New Japan version nowadays for the January 4th shows, and it's this, it's this big dramatic stage Sometimes you get pyro. Even in the Noah show they had in 2005, it was like this big dramatic thing. Here, it was like literally they just kept the baseball field aesthetic. There was no big screen, no nothing. They just walked out of wherever they walked out of behind at the outfield wall, it felt like, and just walked to the arena. What did you think of this look? I I didn't really like it. I mean, it looks terrible compared to, to Budokan. Like, and, and, you know, like I can say as someone who's been to both, to see big shows like I've been to Budokan and I've been to Tokyo Dome. I, I will take a show at Budokan, you know, nine and a half times out of 10 
over going to see a show at the Tokyo Dome. If you said to me, WH, you have a choice. You can either just watch, you know, this Wrestle Kingdom match or show at the Tokyo Dome with like however many people, like 38,000, 45,000 people, or you can go see a show at the Budokan for another promotion that's not, you know, doesn't have the brand of Wrestle Kingdom. I'll take that Budokan show any day because it looks better. It feels more intimate and it feels like, I think this 25th anniversary show, I know why they did it in the Tokyo Dome. I understand the, the, the money, you know, the, the money reasons and, and everything else and the prestige that, you know, that the Tokyo Dome carries. I, I just think it, this would have been better in Budokan. I think it would have made the atmosphere a bit better as well. I just wonder because you compare it to the New Japan setup and it's so much more dramatic when you look at the New Japan stuff. Even around this era, they had so much more to the entrance. It was a special setup. Here it was like literally bare bones. <laughs> like, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, they had no inter- they had no experience setting up the Tokyo Dome. Like New Japan had the benefit yeah. of like just being running that every year and or and like in at, at that time just running it multiple, yeah, multiple times, times in, yeah. in, in in a single year so they knew like from trial and error like oh this is what works this is what looks good on tv this is what's good for the fans and to get great acoustics blah 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 all the all these things they just they just are working from experience like you know new japan in 2021 has like 20 plus years of running the Tokyo Dome. So they know like how to set it up. They know what's going to look good. And they, they have the benefit of having a lot of money to make it look amazing. Like, whereas like, you know, giant Baba is always very much a bare bones, you know, you know, pressing promoter. He didn't yeah. go for the flash or like all the, you know, technology. Hey, I just need a spotlight to show the, the, the wrestlers coming from the dressing room into the ring and some music to play their theme songs and like a speaker and a CD player. That's all I need. And, you know, that's that's kind of like it works for all Japan at the time. Like, you know, they're never going to they were ne- even at that point, they were never going to reach New Japan production levels. And I don't think Baba was very concerned about those kinds of things either, you know, good or bad. But it is what it is. I don't know. Like, I, I don't I'm not a huge fan of of shows at the Tokyo Dome in general. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, you know, whatever you feel about the Dome, I just think comparing it to New Japan is interesting. And kind of what you said about Baba as a promoter, but also I think it kind of fit the vibe of all Japan, uh, just in general. And it, 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 it exemplified the differences between the two companies at the time. I always say this. You look at all Japan and who are the guys we think of? The four pillars. Then you have the the foreigners like Stan Hansen, Dr. Death, kind of these serious guys. In New Japan, they had serious guys. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not disparaging anyone, obviously, with Anoki and all that. But then you look at someone like Amuta, who's this over-the-top character, you know, with the face paint, the mist, and the craziness. I always felt like I remember I was doing a show with Striga, and we were, you know, talking about uh muta's career and his title run as great muta is his very first title run and i was thinking about it because i was like man this kind of i'm just not into this compared to the all japan stuff the all japan stuff is way better but at the same time you think about like if you're a, a kid watching this like a nine ten year old then you're gonna really be influenced by the flash a little bit more like this comic book superhero for you know being the champion then you have the flashy entrances and the lights and the stage, whereas all Japan was much more about the wrestling. Like this is like a real sport 
kind of vibe that they had, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to the main events, especially, they always kept that legitimacy. There was never any like uh, crazy guy, that, you know, that was like the champion uh, at this point in Baba's All Japan. It was always a, a very serious promotion in that sense. So I think the bare bone structure and the the baseball vibe that they had, because you could see the outfield when they were walking out, it kind of felt like you see people in the crowd waving flags and things like that. It felt like a real sports walkout, a boxing vibe at the time. So I, I did think of that, but I thought that they could have spruced it up a little bit uh, at the same time, just to make it more appealing to uh, the children watching or, uh, you know, any kind of fans like that, that might appreciate the aesthetic quality a little bit more. No, I totally agree. Anybody else keep in mind, Baba, his first sport, baseball. So <laughs> he, he just wanted that outfield show. He wanted he just, everybody yeah, to know, like, right. we're in this baseball arena, people. He was showing his, his other love, uh, you know, which was baseball. But um, into the match itself, we start off with a lockup. There's a rope break, but, you know, Kawada chops Misawa instead of breaking cleanly. And then Misawa gives him a receipt via an elbow strike. There's, an, there's another lockup, and that quickly turns into a strike exchange with Masawa coming out on top via his flying spinning lariat. I love this move, Dylan. Like, whenever he hits it, I just love, like, the minute he makes contact with his opponent with the lariat, he just starts spinning before he lands on, on, on the ground. Yeah, it looked great. Uh, I think these two, uh, the opening levels, uh, you know, it felt like, what was this match going to be at the time? Because we were just coming off that draw. And I think a lot of people anticipated going into this match. And I think, again, if the same storyline happened today, we would all think kind of the same thing, pretty much. That their thought was, and the way they built this match up was, this match is going long. And I think that they, and it didn't actually play out that way. <laughs> it went even shorter than the draw. But I think that's what they were kind of playing off of in these early parts. Yeah, so... You know, Kawada stops and attempted German suplex from Misawa, and then he does a jumping back kick to, to Misawa and then follows up with the trademark boot to the face and then tries for a jumping kick to the face. But, you know, Misawa's, you know, they, they have so much history together. Misawa's too familiar with Kawada's moves and blocks that. And, you know, at this point, like, I'm just, I just think, wow, this is a very deliberately paced and, and, I, and I, I will say us very slowly pace match and uh, you know like you got to factor in that you know Masawa is is dealing with some like you know some injuries here like he's he's really banged up going into this match yes that was pretty much the point I was trying to make uh, earlier is that they were really being slow at the start because they were teasing that this match would go very long uh, because the whole point of this was no time limit it'll go as long as it takes uh, you know kind of like I said if they did like when Omega and Okada did their deal they pretty much did a very similar storyline where it would be a very long match. Uh, and I think they were trying to tease that here, although they swerved us more or less at the end. Uh, but yes, the injuries was completely valid. I know even on the commentary, they were kind of mentioning Misawa's injury. So it wasn't like this was some, some bull crap, you know, like in WCW where if somebody was injured, they tried to be like, aha, you know, like, oh, screw you, Meltzer. I'm not injured. Observe this and all that. It was like, they were acknowledging that Misawa was broken down. was breaking down at this point. Yeah. You know, Kawada really slows the pace down. He's holding Misawa in a side headlock. And it's uh, in this sequence here that the commentators, you know, bring up the relationship between Masao and Kawada. They they use they're, they're talking about you know the you know that met you know that Masawa is the senpai to to Kawada's kohai, and I thought that was really interesting that they're you know they they want the fans at home watching this to understand like you know this is really important 
it's gonna this is gonna you know be really important for those watching for Kawada that he's gonna finally you know at the end of this match overcome his senpai, which is a big deal in, in Japanese culture, let alone like Japanese sports or and and pro wrestling. So I thought that was really kind of interesting, like from the commentators to to, to bring that relationship up here. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, what what do you think about that aspect of it about the commentary? I like that they really brought in the realism, uh, you know, and they kept things uh, because that story is not a pro wrestling story. That's a real life thing that, that he is his senpai and, the, you know, he has the age gap, the experience gap in his favor. And that is always a big thing. I remember you telling me even as it's something like your work when you were over there, if someone was senior to you, that that was a really big deal. Uh, that's something in Japan. Obviously, I don't have firsthand experience with that, and uh, I would probably not work very well in that environment uh, because I'm kind of crazy as, as a wrestler. But like in Japan, that really is a big deal from all experience that I've had with people that have lived there, people that work there, people that have really interacted with native Japanese at all. That is always brought up that you have to be respectful to your seniors. Definitely, definitely. Um, back to the match, Misawa gains the advantage with elbow strikes and knocks Kawada down with a beautiful looking missile drop kick. But, you know, I, I got to say, you know, Dylan, for the most part, uh, I feel this match up to this point has been in one gear and it's been set at a specific pace and everything really feels so familiar. And dare I say it, rather stale. Yeah, I was kind of going to mention this point at the end, but that's uh, this is uh, I kind of alluded to it earlier. This was more or less the last gasp of this uh, era because we at the end of the day, this storyline has been going on for eight years without a, a definitive conclusion. And you still have stuff like Kobashi and Misawa as well uh, on here. It's, it's the same kind of guys over and over. So, yes, I completely agree with that. I think this was really the, the do or die point at the Tokyo Dome. And I wonder, I think it would have been very interesting to see if they didn't have this dome show, would they have put over Misa- uh, Kawada like this as they did? Because it was such a special circumstance to do this, where it all kind of fell into place, even though I think we'll ultimately agree that it didn't, it didn't quite work out that way perfectly, but still uh, without the dome, I think this loses uh, quite a bit to, to be honest with you. Maybe, maybe uh, Masawa sends Kawada to the outside and follows up with a beautiful looking elbow suicida. Uh, this gets a nice pop from the crowd, but you know, most of them have seen this move tons of times. <laughs> especially with these two with these two participants. Uh, Mosawa maintains his control by applying his face lock several times to Kawada. But, you know, the audience has been conditioned not to react to these holds, Dylan, since, you know, Kawada, you know, like the only way they know Kawada is going to get beat by Masao is if when Masao hits him with several big bombs, like usually some, you know, some of them being right on Kawada's head. Uh, you know, before he's going to he's going to be pinned by Masao. I, no, no one's expecting Kawada to submit to any you know, hold that Masao is going to put him in. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's the trouble with having uh, your entire main event scene built around the same four guys um, over and over. I think we mentioned this on, on the other show again, or it's something we've definitely mentioned at certain points or I've said before, but the whole four pillars thing, I think everybody thinks of it automatically. Like if I were to set to tell you the four pillars, we know what you would think about. 
AEW's four pillars, obviously. <laughs> but no, I, like everybody would think about all Japan, but in general, in Japan, this is a thing. Like four pillars of everything. That's a cultural denomination, whether it's music, sports, whatever. These just happen to be the four pillars of wrestling. That's always a big thing in Japanese culture. And but the problem is that they built so much around it that it was going to get to this point eventually where, you know, things were going to, to run out. You know what I call those guys? The AW4. I, I don't call them the pillars. I call them the chair legs. The four chair legs. <laughs> That's what I call them. Anyways. Very accurate. Uh, you know, Kawada finally reverses his fortunes by hitting Masao with a great, I, I, I love this move, this, this great short-range spinning heel kick that, you know, like he just, you know, like spins forward and just like nails Masao with his heel kick. I love it. Like for me, you know, I'll just say this right now. Like I, when Kawada's on the offense and he's hitting his strikes, especially like that's when I'm, I'm coming alive watching this match, Dylan. I, and they were kind of building a little bit of a narrative through this match because, you know, Misawa early on, he was doing his, his big moves like the drop kick and, and the elbow suicida and all of that. But it felt like every time Misawa would start to get a run going, Kawada would just turn around and kick him in the face, which is such a Kawada strategy to build a match around that I couldn't help but start to love it e- even at this point. So, uh, yes, I did. I did appreciate those uh, Kawada moves as well, but especially the narrative way they were using them in that Misawa would start to get an advantage and then Kawada would counter by kicking him in the face, which I yeah. appreciate. Yeah, I mean, this is like this is, you know, evident in like the, the next sequence, which he sees Misawa reverse a, a top rope superplex. Uh, and then, you know, like he, he reverses it like and, and, you know, Kawada lands on his legs on his back, but Misawa recovers very, very nicely. But, you know, Kawada just gets up. And boots him back into the face and knocking Masao back down. He 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 then what's great about this sequence, he then follows up with this amazing looking brain buster. Uh, but you know, oddly enough, he doesn't follow up with a pin attempt. Uh, but he does go for a pin attempt after hitting a jumping knee to the back of the of Masao's head, but he only gets a two-count here. And then and then uh Masao reverses a folding power bomb attempt, but gets knocked down with a boot to the face, and again, like like in you, you're alluding to this, of course, obviously that you know the boot to the face is, is a, a trademark move from Toshiaki Kawada. But you know, I gotta say, like at this point, like I've seen all of this, like because like I have seen these, like if I, and let, let's, I want to be clear, like hey, I I did not watch this stuff initially in sequence. Okay, like I would be all over the place, jumping from year to year watching these matches, but like. You know, like if you put it in context, like all this stuff that they're doing in this 98 match has been done for the last six years, you know, and and it it at, at some point, like you might be excited to see it because they might, you know, they might want to try to be sparing with it, like keep it special as a singles attraction. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I I've seen Masawa get to a boot to the face maybe a million times. I agree with you, uh, to, to be honest with you. But I also think that that's not a that's not a criticism of this match more so than all Japan at this point, mm. as we were getting in there, because, yes, that's true of this match. But you could say the same thing about every combination of the four pillars. Pretty much this one is the most noteworthy uh, because they were the two biggest stars and the, the ones that they would have you know, go against each other the most. But I would say that was a big problem with all Japan in general at this point. And especially, I like, especially 99 and 2000. I definitely think the 
things were there needed to be some changes. Masawa is uh, stuck in the corner and Kawada starts a flurry of kicks and knees to Masawa's face. But yeah, this just seems to piss off Masawa instead of like really hurt him. And, and he gets up, no sells these strikes, including some rapid fire Kawada kicks to the face. He just no sells this stuff. And then until he just, you know, he, but he knocked Kawada down with an elbow, a stiff looking elbow. That elbow was awesome. It was <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like great fire. That, that totally felt like, uh, you know, he, he just, you know what? I'm pissed. Let me throw this big elbow. <laughs> like I, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was real or not, but it just, it felt so good how, how he did it. I, I love that elbow. I noted that right away. I, I think usually when you had this spot, like in Masao Kawada matches where, you know, Kawada's got him in the corner, especially he just likes tea. I think he's like, you know, he's potatoing him to some extent. Like he's, he's not going to knock him out or anything like that, but he's like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you in the way you have, you have probably influenced the booking of me in this company for the last six years. And, you know, he's, he's going to, I think he's going to, you know, you know, what, what, what's the, what's the phrase in wrestling, Dylan? I'm going to tool him up. Is that, is that the phrase I'm looking for? Sure. sure. You know, I think Kawada says, I'm going to tool up Masawa a little here in this corner. I'm not going to hurt him, but I, I, I'm going to like, I'm not going to injure him. Like, let me rephrase that. I'm not going to injure him. I'm going to like eh, potato him. I'm going to tool him up. Whatever you want to say. If you're in wrestling, let me know. If you're a wrestler, send me a DM. Anyways. Um, but and then, you know, I, and I think that elbow is like a fucking receipt, dude. <laughs> He's like, fuck you. It's some legit potatoes, you know, Kawada back to just to say, fuck you. But, you know, he's probably used to it because what, what happens next is that, you know, from that elbow, Kawada gets up and just fucking boots him to the face. <laughs> and, and, you know, and then Masala gets up and hits another elbow to the face. It's just like a back and forth between these two. Yes. Um, sometimes when, uh, you know, somebody would do something like that uh, when I was wrestling. They would say, like, I'm going to light you up type of deal. Uh, but that that sounds very good, too, uh, to tool you up. I, I don't know if that's official or not. I've never heard that. But I'm just uh, I'm just from Memphis, <laughs> not, not, not from uh, Japan, unfortunately. But I no, I, I think I, I heard that, like, in some clip from a shoot interview that I can't recall. Who was in the shooting interview? I think they use the word "we're gonna tool them up." We're gonna like I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, yes, um, but yes, Kawada and Misawa, what, whatever they did, they hit each other very hard yes. <laughs> in layman's terms, and uh, I loved seeing it. Honestly, like yes, we have seen a lot of this before, but uh, it was still very uh, comforting, I guess, to say here. Uh, I, I obviously, you know, it's a good way to work this match from a narrative perspective to cover up Misawa's injuries at the time and general sluggishness from his his perspective, I thought, uh, because things were getting a little bit, again, the early going of this match was not very exciting, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, again, I felt like they were purposely trying to tease that this match would go very long and uh, trying to, uh, you know, get people to think that way. But then now we're starting to see a little bit more of a fire here. We're starting to see their feud and rivalry come into play a little bit more during the match here. And we would start to see some back and forth with big moves, whether it was the power bomb or the tiger driver tease, you know, then we had the big strikes. So they would try to tease a little bit of their old reliables during this middle portion. Yeah. It's, and it's at this point that we, you know, we now get to the, the kind of the standard exchange of the, you know, the big moves the, the head dropping stuff and the the big strikes from these guys. These include like 
tons of German suplexes, like especially like the release kinds and backdrop drivers that, you know, that are dropping both men on their heads. Uh, and of course, you know, these still get tremendous pops from the crowd because if you see, if you're, if you're seeing this stuff live, like these moves live, it's going to pop you. Like, I, I don't care who you are. Like you're just going to be like, if it's good, it's going to pop you because it's exciting or it's going to pop you because it's dangerous. And you're like worried that you're, you know, someone's not going to be getting up from one of these moves, you know, during the, the course of this match. But, you know, thankfully that doesn't, that does not, is not a factor in this match, but, um, you know, one of my favorite points of this match, Dylan, happens around this time. Kawada gets rocked with his German suplex, but he gets up. And then, you know, with his brilliant delayed selling, he staggers down and out of the ring to the floor. And I and I just thought Kawada is so great at selling. Absolutely. One of the greatest of all times. Uh, again, much like our beloved Stan, Stan Hansen, Everyone knows him as this super badass guy, like Kawada. Oh, yeah, he he's known Dangerous K. He kicks hard. But in reality, he's actually way underrated as a defensive wrestler selling and making his opponent look great, as I consider him legitimately one of the absolute greatest of all time at that, whether in tag or singles works. And we saw it again here. And we're starting to see things uh, wake up a little bit with, with his great selling here. It's going to lead to some good stuff in, in a little bit. Uh, there's a tiger driver on Kawada and, and a, a pin attempt, but no one buys that this is the finish. I don't think Masao has ever beaten anyone with the tiger driver from like this point because it's all like, well, unless it's like some mid card, you know, jobber dude, like, you know, Kentaro Shiga or Makoto Hashi, like he's not pinning Kawada with the regular tiger driver. Come on now. Um, but you know what's great is that from here, Kawada grabs the leg and he just delivers this vicious looking dragon screw leg wave. And I love it. It's so amazing looking that he, when he does it. He, again, he's even doing these New Japan moves better, better than the New Japan guys. So it seems like with the dragon screw. But yeah, that was awesome, honestly. And this is starting to come into another narrative that we've seen. Uh, throughout the match at this point, which was Kawada would work the leg throughout the match at, at, at different points, as yes. well as the elbow. So he was really trying to work a dual like limb work story. We, we always say work the leg. It's kind of it's kind of like a cop out in a lot of ways of wrestling nowadays. But he really did it. And he was also working on the elbow as well. Uh, so he was doing kind of a dual limb work. And that leg would definitely come into play uh, in the near future. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point, he locks in a single leg crab on crab on Mitsuhara Masala. And, you know, I got to I got to shout out Masala. He does such a great job selling this this, you know, single leg Boston, Boston crab where he's just screaming in agony and being put in this move. Like because like he he just, you know, experienced that amazing looking dragon screw leg with. Yes, absolutely. I thought he was awesome in that, that whole segment. I thought it was a really well done sequence in general. He, you know, Kawada also tries to lock in and, you know, he successfully locks in the figure four leg lock. And again, Masawa selling this is just, he, he's so great at it. And then, yeah, like you said, then he switches to attacking. Misawa's that might have right been arm. My, my favorite part of the whole match was Misawa selling in that figure four. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal, even more so than the, the crab hold, the single leg crab. I thought that figure four was such a good spot in general and misawa made this feel totally real uh the way he was selling he made you think that he was in complete pain and we know he was injured he he's probably struggling 
in all sense of the word. But man, that figure four was so awesome. And not a not a move you would really associate with these two either. Yeah. So I did appreciate they threw that little wrinkle in with the legwork going on before we before we went to the elbow which to be honest with you again to to your point earlier this is a story we've seen him attempt to do not ever really be successful at it but we've seen him attempt to take away misawa's ultimate weapon the elbow for years and years and now he would give it a go once again in the dome well i thought as it made sense because what the reason i think he starts going after the you know the right arm is because you know kawada attempts a gamangiri like a jumping kick to the face to Masao, but you know, Masao blocks it with his, his right arm. And so like, and then he visibly like grabs it, like that he damaged it. Like, you know, Kawada might not have hit him in the face, but he hit Masawa in that elbow, in that arm. And now it hurts. So like, of course, like, Oh, he sees an opening and he's going to switch his strategy from the, the leg to, to the right arm. And he goes with, you know, he goes after it with arm breakers, like Yuji Nagata style arm breakers, arm bars and arm locks. And all right, and like Kawhi is just doing everything he can to like make sure he can't get hit with that elbow anymore. But also at the same time, like if he can make Masao be, you know, submit by taking out, by using, you know, his own, you know, you know, greatest weapon against him, which is his right arm, his right elbow, then that's, that'd be a great, you know, feather in his cap as well. Absolutely. And another good thing about all of this, I really liked. He really started to focus on the leg after he was really put in jeopardy. You know, he, as you said, I don't think anybody really bought the tiger driver as a finish that we were starting to see the tide turn to Misawa. And that's when Kawada went to the leg and then the elbow. It was kind of like a way for him to counter the tide that was turned to Misawa's favor. Yeah. There, and like you said, and again, there's another tiger driver. Uh, and a kick out. Uh, but then Kawada hits Masao with a kick to the gut and then falls up with this spinning heel kick to the face. He just like pin, bam, pinpoint hits him in the face and then follows up with an amazing Gamangiri. Uh, and then, you know, he goes for the pin. It's only a two count, but, but this crowd is super into this match now at this point. Like, they're like, oh my God, we are hitting the crescendo of this match. And, you know, it now it's just, you know, they know what's going to come next. Lots of big moves, lots of two counts, but they're, and, and a lot of emotional investment from this crowd. Absolutely. I mean, this felt like a legitimate Tokyo Dome made event in every sense of the word, uh, you know, and obviously considering the emotional stakes of it all and the stories they were telling in the match, to be honest with you, if you really look at it, there was a lot going on in terms of a lot of the stuff they were doing, a lot of the narratives that you could point to, and a lot of the threads in the match itself. So, um, yeah, the crowd was totally into it, and uh, it felt like a huge match at this point. There's a there's a picture perfect Gamangiri that that hits Masawa square on his chin. There's an elbow for Masawa that that knocks Kawada down, but he gets right back up and hits another spinning heel kick. Like this is like, if you love Kawada spinning heel kicks, this is the mood. This is the match for you. And who doesn't love that? I don't know. There's some weird people out there, Dylan. I'm sure there's some people who's like, I don't want to see Kawada do a spinning heel kick. Well, well too bad. You're missing out on life. That's what I got to say. There's a German, a, a Gamagiri, a folding brain buster, all from Kawada, of course, uh, for, uh, you know, two counts. And just this this amazing string of great moves from Kawada 
that gets, you know, th- this crowd in the Tokyo Dam is now super fired up. They're into this, Dylan. They're like, and they're especially into Kawada. I got to really say, like, the way this, this back end of this match is booked, it's really making people, like, be impressed with Kawada. And like, oh my God, this guy is the best wrestler in this company right now. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, going back to their original match where, uh, you know, in, in 10-21-92, when Kawada had the crowd on his side, we saw it again this time in the Dome. It felt like the tide was turning, not necessarily in the match, but in their whole, the whole point of their rivalry, it felt like this was a turning point for a lot of the fans and they wanted to will this to happen. They didn't want it to see him come up short again. They wanted to see him finally get it. Uh, and the stuff that he was doing in this match was never mind, whatever you want to say about the match, just from an execution standpoint, completely great. Like so good. Everything he did in this match, pinpoint accuracy, great, great work from, from Kawada. I mean, Sawa did have, um, you know, he had his, his spots as well. Uh, I particularly like when he uh, did the elbow, uh, you know, when um, Kawada wanted to block and then he just elbowed through it. I thought it looked uh, really good. And I also like that his main weapon in this particular match, I wish that they had done this a little bit more in some of the other matches, but in this match in particular, I feel like he kept looking for the Tiger suplex, which won their biggest match uh, from 6394 at this point. He wanted to go to that as his kill shot on Kawada, and he kept looking for it at various points as a bigger move than just a regular Tiger driver. So I appreciated that little uh, nod to continuity there. Uh, there's a, a folding power bomb from Kawada. One, two, kick out. Uh, the crowd is so hot right now. But hey, guess what happens next? There's another folding power bomb, and this time, one, two, three. Yes, Toshiaki Kawada has finally done it, Dylan. He has won the triple crown from Mitsuharu Masawa, and this is this is six years after their first match for the triple crown. And this is 17 years since they were on the same, you know, high school wrestling team. And, and it, it culminates in this. And, and right after, you know, we, we see a shot of Kawada. He stretches his arms straight up in the air and he says, this is the best moment of my life. And I'm happy that everyone can enjoy this great moment with me. That's the translation we got, you know, and during my research here, Dylan, that he, he's, he's just happy. You know, this is like I did it and he's really happy that the, the fans could share in this moment with him. And what, what a, what a great human being. He cares so much about the fans. I thought this finish was absolutely phenomenal for very, for various reasons. And to me, if you, whatever Christmas could be late at the match, this is what really made the match to me was the finishing stretch and not even necessarily from the finishing run was awesome. Like you said, the crowd was super into it and they were really, you know, putting in their top of the line stuff for this finish, which they should. It's a, it's the biggest show in your company's history and of either man's careers, to be, to be perfectly honest with you. And they should make it the biggest thing they could have. When he finally hit that second power bomb, um, I thought it was actually really smart to have him kick out uh, because it led you to believe like, oh, crap, here we go again. Misawa's about to win. And when he hit the second power bomb, if you notice on the pin, it's like 
he has this very dramatic like superman lean over <laughs> like he he elevates his legs off the ground like he's almost vertical pinning misawa in the powerbomb position he's all over his body his feet are in the air uh he, like he like, he is desperately 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 trying to make sure this pinfall hits and i thought it was like so good i can't express how awesome this uh, finish was and then the the ending or rather the immediate post match where like you said he goes off and immediately his arms are in the air looking out you know to stretching out to the heavens saying yes i finally did it and if you notice all of his other wins like the bullcrap champion carnival win whether it was the tag win that he had uh you know the tag wins they never really had that same effect where it was like you know, his arms were in the air and it felt like this moment of euphoria and it was real. Like it was real. I have every reason to believe that the, the man, never mind the wrestler or character or whatever, uh, Kawada felt something real about this. And that made me feel something real about it. It made the fans feel something real about it. And I thought it was like perfect, perfect pro wrestling. Like, like all, all of the last, minutes uh the, the last couple of minutes including the, and then the post-match afterwards you mentioned the promo they lift them up on their shoulders which is a great great image very reminiscent of misawa like kawada lifting misawa up on his shoulders when he beat jumbo on june 8th 1990 uh which was like misawa's biggest moment of his career at that point it was so reminiscent of that this felt like Misawa beating Jumbo. Obviously, the dynamics are a little bit different just because they're a little bit closer in age and, and friendship before and all that crap. But it was so well done. I just thought all of this was just phenomenal, like absolutely fantastic for wrestling. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this moment, like there is a sense of genuine, you know, happiness, elation even from Kawada and, and with the crowd, like they're super into like, you know, like that he won the triple crown finally from, from Misawa. And I think that's great, but you know, like if, if I guess I'll just do it now, like if I'm to give this match a, you know, a rating out of five stars, like I, I'm going to go four, four stars for this. Like, I think it's, it's a, especially the back end of this match. It's really good. And I really like the back end, but like to get to it, we, we had, I, at least I feel I had to endure like some, really you know stale stuff from these guys not that it's bad or anything it's just like oh i've i've seen it you know and and like you know you could argue like well you've seen like the the 94 match before it was like yeah but in context like i i try to watch things in a certain with a certain context to them like of, of the time period and like where it it is in relation to other matches especially if it's a series of matches like misawa kawada or like say steamboat and flair or you know rock and austin or something like that right like i i try to keep it in context which which what point in their history is this match and and like with this particular this 98 match i just feel like wow like i've i've seen it i feel the crowd has seen a lot of this stuff and it doesn't really get to that you know four and a half five star level range for me um but you know like and i and i think it, it has a lot to do with like the fact that it it should have happened you know four years earlier you know so i don't know how you feel about that i think it would be hard to argue uh that for sure that it would have been much better uh, if it had happened uh years earlier and it should have been 
uh, happened years earlier. And yes, in 98, again, I really don't think it's a problem of these guys or this match. I think the style was getting stale in general. And uh, ne- there needed to be some changes, which they gradually wanted to implement, uh, you know, going forward uh, in general. And that's why there were a lot of problems in a lot of ways going forward in the next couple of years. But to me, when you when you see the end of this match, you hear the crowd, you hear the call. the uh, The commentary was really uh, strong here. Uh, just the excitement it was all it all felt so real and genuine in a way that it's really tough to replicate in a lot of the other matches. Uh, that ninety four match was just a better match. I mean, there's no <laughs> like there's no other way to say it. Like six three ninety four was a better match than this, uh, unquestionably. I feel like I, I feel like everyone would agree that seen both of them. Uh, the match itself, I think ultimately that the injuries, it being in 98 and not 94 for multiple reasons, I think like not just uh, him not winning, but just the staleness of it, as you mentioned, that definitely took a, a hamper on it. I would say the first half of the match definitely suffered, but I also think that it was, there was purpose behind it, which I appreciated a lot that they had the story of the no time limit, which this match ended in less time than the 30 minute draw. So I appreciate that they went out of their way to tease that this would, there would, you know, this would be this epic all Japan match, but they did something different. It was almost like a minimalist version of their uh, normal matches. So I appreciated that, that they did something different. Um, again, the moment really makes the match more than the match itself, even though I thought the last, uh, you know, the last half really was really good, but really the last minute of the match is like that, Whatever you think, that was so amazing that I can't possibly say anything bad about it. But four stars seems fair. I, I don't think that's a bad rating at all. That's still a great match, really. Uh, so, uh, you know, I really have no problem with that rating at all. I think four, four, four and a quarter, four and a half, whatever. I wouldn't say this was like one of the greatest matches of all time or even, even of all Japan and definitely not of their series. But I still thought that it was special because of the moment and the way that the crowd reacted and the stage it was on. At the end of the day, this was the biggest show in company history. And they chose to put this on there. They didn't choose Kobashi versus Masawa. As Kobashi had a, a you know a building storyline with Masawa, they picked Kawada uh, to do it. And the fans reacted this way. The crowd reacted. The announcers reacted. So I think it was very special. Unfortunately, that would not last uh, for, for Kawada going in. But I'm going to throw a question to you, WH, yeah. here, uh, just to add on here. I think it's something worth mentioning. And I think it's something that a lot of people really bring up in general. I, I guess we could kind of talk about it now. I don't remember us ever talking about this specifically before. Did Do you think that part of it, and a part of the reason why this match doesn't really stand out, because I think most people would agree with what we said, that it's not one of their greatest matches or anything like that. Do you think that a part of it is that at the end of the day, this you mentioned the staleness and all of that, but did they... And the four pillars specifically, and the all Japan style, whatever you want to call it, did they escalate things too far with the style, with the big bombs and things like that, to the point where you were mentioning during the match a tiger driver, which was a big move, you know, in the past, you know, not even ten years prior to this. Now it's like nobody believes in it. It has to be something bigger. Oh uh, yeah, I totally think that they escalated things too far with the the head dropping and the dangerous like moves like you have the burning hammer the you know masawa's variations of like different suplexes and the tiger driver 91 you have kawada 
you know, his brain buster is pretty dangerous looking, even though I'm sure it's perfectly safe. But like, you know, a year later, he's going to create the fucking Genzo, like accidentally, he's going to create the, the, the Genzo bomb, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, like there is a point where like, I, I do think there's an escalation and they, they needed to change their style or tweak it at the very least, because, you know, I'm not going to say the style in of itself is, is stale or, or what have you. I think, you know, the participants doing the style have to, have to be, have to change. I mean, like Baba just falls into the same pattern that he's going to fall into. If like Tenru never left and it would have been like, you know, Jumbo and Tenru at the top. And it would have taken a lot longer for like, you know, Masao and company to crack through to that main event level. But, you know, like Baba, the problem with all Japan at this point, and then, and like, I love this era, but it's not without its fault is that he doesn't have anyone outside of Akiyama to really, you know, take the company to, he doesn't have like, like besides Akiyama, he doesn't have another three to go with Akiyama. I, I, I think if, if he really spent a lot more time developing like Omori and then when he got Takayama, okay. But like he had like a, like, you know, in hindsight, he had a diamond in the rough with Mossman, Taiokea, that yep. he never really exploited and he should have. And, you know, and then, but like he has all these like juniors that are going to be like, holy fuck in the next decade, like amazing. And and one of the, the, the highlights of pro wrestling Noah in its infancy and in its peak years is like their junior division, which are all the guys that are still that are starting off in this fucking dojo at this time. And it's, it's like, Oh my God, if we only knew, right. Like, but I, I think you could have had like, I think if you, if you started, introducing if baba broke away from the 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 the, the, you know like oh it's going to take forever for akiyama to to reach the top level like i i would have like done akiyama like of all things if things did not change for all japan and rono never was was never created and masawa stayed and like mrs baba was the one who like was bought out whatever something like that you know then akiyama should have won the triple crown in 2000 you know no later than that don't not 2001 not he should he should have like started the 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 new you know the new century off with being the the guy who's going to lead the company and then bring along moss man bring along omori and bring along takayama as like your new not four pillars but you know i mean that 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 next generation that's going to help elevate everyone else and then like just give the juniors like Boom. Like, you know, Baba, that's probably something Masao would have done if he was still the booker of all Japan. Like he would have seen, you know, Marafuji and, you know, Kenta and, and Katamaru and Hashi. And even like, yeah, he's got Sugiyar also in the wings as well. We, you know, that, you know, we never see him in all Japan necessarily in any significant role because we always think of him as a Noah wrestler, but like, he's got like, there's so much potential that you're going to have in the, in the coming you know, 10, 10, 15 years that it's, 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 what if it never, what if no one never happened? What if they, these guys all stayed in all Japan? It would have been interesting. Well, it's interesting. You bring them up because if you really look at where they were at before the split, no fear was who they were grooming to be the next guys. Uh, Takayama had that triple crown shot in 2000 versus Kobashi. Omori had the seven second win over Akiyama, uh, which is a continued factor in Akiyama, not being a main eventer (laughs) that he should have. Um, really, if you go back and look, even before this match we just talked about, Akiyama had a match with Misawa 
which you could argue would have been a great time to put Akiyama over as Jumbo put over Misawa, because in a lot of ways, Akiyama was really the natural successor to Misawa as the next ace of the next four pillars, whatever you want to call it. He really was that next guy that should have been the top guy, but Misawa didn't give him what Jumbo gave Misawa. And it's, it sucks that it happened that way. And, you know, Akiyama obviously still had a great career. It was a great main eventer and all that later on. But I think that that really hurt a lot of things. And they were kind of formulating it to where it would be Akiyama, Omori, and Takiyama. They didn't really have a fourth guy to go along with them, but they, they would have figured something out. Uh, I think they would have gone with Kea. I think they would have gone with him because he's going to be positioned as Akiyama's tag partner. He's going to be like Akiyama's Kawada, you know? I feel like that, that no fear. We're going to be like your new Holy demon army. And then, you know, Akiyama and Kea, we're going to be like the other, you know, tag team with, with, you know, like Kea being like Akiyama's sidekick basically. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Uh, you know, uh, you know, have a, a, a foreigner uh, teaming with Akiyama, uh, you know, as the fourth pillar, uh, you know, that would be great. Uh, you know, Ta- Taiyo Kea was a, a really good worker. I really enjoyed his, his wrestling. Uh, I thought he was a great guy that he could be in the Muto era of all Japan. I think he has, uh, you know, had a really great role in the company. Uh, you know, so I definitely think that would have been the right move. Ultimately. Um, I think the juniors really would have had a tough time breaking through just because uh, it was, it was that way in all Japan and, you know, and for forever, really, I think the juniors have always kind of struggled in all Japan and that's just Baba's way uh, at the end of the no, day. But, 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 but Masao would have pushed them after Baba died. If he was still, you know, he was a booker, he would have pushed the juniors because he did that in, in Noah, right? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He totally did it in Noah. I just wonder if it would have happened the same way in all Japan. Uh, you know, if he would have followed Baba's uh, ways a little bit more. But yes, in Noah, the juniors were very important under Misawa's role. That was the best part of everything about Noah was that the juniors finally got to have some importance and actually like really awesomely pushed. To be honest with you, that those first few years. Um, in general, all Japan was such a minefield with Mrs. Baba and, and Misawa there. And as I said, like even then in 2000, I thought, like like you were saying, it's not that the company was bad or anything. It just felt like there needed to be a big change. I I think Noah was actually a good thing for Japanese wrestling as a whole, just because there needed to be changes all all the way around. And you got great stuff at the end of it, you know. Tenru coming back was an amazing moment for All Japan and set up so many things. You had All Japan and New Japan working together, which led to New Japan and Noah working work together, which who knows if that would have happened if, I, you know, All Japan had never split up. Would they have worked with New Japan more? These are all things nobody really knows because nobody knows how Mrs. Baba would have uh, reacted things. Um, but on the other hand, it, it spares us Muto era All Japan, which I would have been very happy uh, to to avoid. So uh, there are positives and negatives to it. But I, I really think there needed to be some big changes. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned it on this show. I really feel like this is the end of the line because at the end of the day, nothing can replace this moment that happened at the at the end of all of this. Uh, nobody can take that away. But after that, I mean, what were the big moments I, after this, because they kind of squandered this whole thing with Kawada and he had injury problems and everything else. I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe how they handled this after this title reign. But after that, what is the big moments of all Japan in 99 and 2000? Well, I mean, 
like I'd have to go back and really look at it. But so there really weren't that many. Like, no, you know, like if top, it was, if sticking out top of my head. No, but like I mean, if I I I do think like if I if I really take the time to research it, like I could probably come back with like maybe two or three, you know, examples for you. But like maybe that's a uh, that, that's a conversation. Well, 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 that's a conversation yeah. for another time, maybe. But I, I mean, in context of Masao versus Kawada, what happens after this is like, you know, Osaka. <laughs> You know, January 22nd, 1999. Oh, yeah. Six minutes into this match, Kawada versus Masala. Kawada throws a spitting back fist to the back of Masala's head and, and fractures his forearm. He breaks his arm, basically. And then, but he was still wrestled for, what, another 19 minutes? Amazing. Just a, just a sheer, you know, gut check performance for Kawada. This is also the, the famous match where, you know, because he, his arm is broken, he can't do the folding powerbomb. He can't get Masala up. So he's just dangling there. You know, whole, Kawada's holding him and then says, well, I got to do something. So he then creates the Gunzo Bomb, uh, which is a move where you drop your opponent right on their head. Not not really shouldn't do this, but, you know, thankfully, you know, anyways, he he, he then hits a Gamangiri and then one of the stiffest brain buses you're ever going to see in, in the history of wrestling. And, and he wins the Triple Crown for the second time from Masao. But then, you know, seven days later, he, you know, he, he leaves Budokan in an ambulance on that night. And the, you know, seven days later on January 29th, you know, Kawada has to give up the, the title. Like who knows if he didn't break his arm, maybe he would have like had an amazing title reign. Um, after that, it's, it's uh Kawada versus Basawa at, at Budokan on J- J- July 24th of 99. Masawa beats him <laughs> champion carnival. This is Masao booking this. He's now the booker, full on booker. Um, you know, he, he, this is like 2000. This is uh, March 31st, 2000. This is the, the first round of a 16 man single elimination tournament. He, he moves away from the round robin format. He meets Kawada in the first round and he defeats him. And, <laughs> you know, why? I don't know why. And then, you know, the, the next time that they meet is like significantly is back in Tokyo now. Um, I, I forget the date, uh, but I'm sure you have it, Dylan. Like, and you know, like he in uh, uh, Noah's, you know, big yeah, so, Tokyo yeah, Dome show, yeah, Destiny 2005, Destiny 2005. Yeah. And and you know, they have a, a you know, a fun match, a decent match. It's not as good as like their stuff in the 90s, but you know, Masao beats him. Yeah, you, you, you would think, yeah, okay, that that's because he's the booker, Kawada's the guy from All Japan. I, I, I personally think, and I thought this even in 2005 when I saw this match, Dylan, I think I think Masawa should have put over Kawada in that match. Yeah, you know, I think that would have been an interesting, uh, you know, a call. It would have been tough because of where things were <laughs> at the time with Noah, uh, you know, compared to All Japan at the time. And, and in general, Kawada, you know, great wrestler, you know, whatever. Uh, there was a lot of personal issues between Kawada and Misawa. Again, we kind of go into that uh, on the other show. But for whatever reason, Masawa, and just in general, Masawa loved putting himself over. Like, no, no disrespect. No, <laughs> no, no disrespect to Misawa, but like, you look at his career, e- even at Noah, even after all of that, by 2005, I mean, Masawa was not what he once was. And, you know, he was old. He was stressed out running the company. Uh, you know, he wasn't the wrestler he once was, but he still had a, a big run on, t- on top. And a lot of ways, I think, in his mind, he felt like, and maybe there is truth to this. Uh, you know, there is a you know a hinge of truth truth to this. They needed him to be a successful company. When again, the evidence of that is what happened after he died. 
things went way down uh, without him at the end of the day. But you could argue a part of that. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You didn't make any new stars. So when he uh, unfortunately left, they didn't have anybody to to carry that torch. So it was a really, you know, uh, mind-boggling circle, so so to speak. But yes, Misawa Kawada, it would have been interesting. I, I couldn't imagine that happening, just knowing their history and and how everything happened. Even uh, even during that match, Kawada ended up getting super heat, and never he never worked with Misawa again after that match. Yeah, um, let's let's end the show with just taking kind of an an overall look. You know, like Misawa beats you know him in 1998 in front of you know all Japan's largest crowd ever. But, you know, like ultimately, Masao's legacy would always overshadow Kawada in terms of the numbers. Um, this, this Tokyo Dome victory that Kawada had ended Masao's third uh, title reign, which lasted 466 days. Um, his second reign, Masao's second reign was 364 days long. But Masao's first reign was seven, the epic 705 days of Masao's first Triple Crown reign. Uh, in comparison, Kawada's first reign lasted a mere... 133 days and you know he only had one quote-unquote successful defense this is this wasn't even a win it was a 60-minute draw with kenna kobashi before he loses the title to to stan hansen uh the second quarter reign only lasted 45 days and, and kobashi would lose the title uh no kawada would lose the title to kenna kobashi on the on the next tour for for all japan um, and that was just after this match we talked about it. That's what yeah. I really don't understand. Like you had this amazing moment, and I like I I wonder what what was the thinking behind that. To be honest with you, you had your biggest show in history. You built it around this guy <laughs> finally overcoming his eight year long story, and then you lose it a month later. Um, I really disagree with that. To, to be honest with you, but like I said, th- things were a little shaky in all Japan at this point for a lot of reasons, and that definitely was not something I, I think is good because uh, you know all the stuff I talked about that great moment and all of that, it just really didn't last that long at the end of the day. Which is uh, it would have been interesting to see at least uh, nothing against Kobashi, like everybody loves him, he's an amazing worker, one of the greatest ever. Everybody knows that, but it would have been interesting to see Kawada have a, a longer reign. Definitely. Anyways, final thoughts. You know, there's one more point I'd like to make about all of this, and because it really reminds me all the stuff we're talking about, and especially on the Misawa topic, I think ultimately all of this stuff we're talking about and all of the stuff that we've said uh, on that you know level when you talked about him overshadowing Kawada and putting over people, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that ultimately a big part of why things turned out how they did by the end of the decade in terms of uh, you know, that soundness we mentioned and trying to get, you know, uh, new people over and maybe not being able to at the moment, you know, whatever they were building towards that we didn't get to see, unfortunately. Do you think Misawa as the ace, his legacy is so strong. Many people consider him the greatest of all time. And he was able to springboard that into a successful company that ended up overshadowing Baba's company uh, for, you know, for while he was alive. Do you think that him getting pushed so hard as the ace, while it did benefit him, there's no question about that. Do you think, despite all of the successes that all of Japan had during the 90s and during his title reigns and during his big runs, do you think that there could have been more done uh, to elevate other people, whether it was Kawada or Akiyama, I think is another person you can point to. You know, he did get his big win in 2000, but uh, 
the point is, do you think his ace run maybe did some damage? Not to say that it uh, it wasn't great because it was a great thing, not just in terms of the matches, but in terms of the company itself. But do you think there was some damage done that paid off years down the line in the later part of the 90s from his earlier run and the reluctance of Baba and whoever to not put over a new star, Kawada or otherwise? Yes, I totally think his his super push his over push as the ace of the company while, you know, obviously great box office success for all Japan. Like in, in, if you look at it in a, in like a long-term, you know, point of view in context and we have the, like, again, we have the hindsight now of looking back at this is like, yeah, he was over pushed. You, sh- you should have made Kawada his equal. You should have, you should have pulled the trigger on Kobashi a lot sooner before his, his knees were like completely shot um, by the time, like we get to the point where he's, he's like having his, you know, 99, 2000 were before like the, the, you know, the, the, the departure from, of him to Noah with Masao and everyone else. Um, and you should have started laying the groundwork for that next generation led by Akiyama, like in 98, 99. And, and then like, we see the same problems happening in, in Noah, like where, you know, like, I think, you know, you know, like he, he didn't need to put himself over so strongly. He should have created, he should have made Akiyama in the first two years of Noah's history. You know, he relied too much on himself and on Kobashi. Uh, and this is not to take anything from away from like Kobashi's GHC title reign, which is amazing. It's great, but absolutely. But like, again, then, then but why do you pick Rikio? Takeshi Riki to be the guy like honestly like he should have just saw the potential in Morishima earlier and pushed the fucking shit out of Morishima at that <laughs> time you know Morishima and like here's the other thing like Marafuji and Kenta got over they could have like and they would eventually right like you know again we have hindsight they should have been pushed into the heavyweight roles like it should have Noah could have successfully done a more open weight format because these two guys were so over as wrestlers that didn't matter that they were junior heavyweights that they eventually would have transitioned into it but then they had also like Sigiera you know at his like physical you know was hitting his physical peak like okay push him and then you're 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 gonna eventually you know all things being equal you're eventually gonna get Kensuke into the company as well and and Nakajima at the age of like 18 or or 19 it's like oh my god like the potential for Noah to like have an amazing 2010 onward, even after Masawa dies, could have could have been there because, but it didn't happen because Masawa, you know, I think he, you know, he felt he he, he was too important to coming. But that again, you made an excellent, you know, choice of a phrase. It's a self fulfilling prophecy because he did not put anyone over to to take over from him because he thought, Oh, I, I'm the most important guy in the company. And, and a lot of it has to do with like, he's looking at box office numbers, but you know, to, to make, to make money, you have to spend money and you have to like be willing to lose a little bit of money initially. And that that's especially true in pro wrestling. I feel. Um, I do agree with that to be honest with you. Uh, you know, and you know, that their early part was very successful. The mid two thousands were very successful. And unfortunately, we found out later a big reason why that was uh, when Izumita wrote his book and, and everything happened. But, you know, by that, by the time period at the end, 
you know, that, like you said, they just really hadn't built up anybody else. I do think they at least uh, gave – like they they took a step towards at least building these guys. Like, But then they pulled back right away for whatever reason. You know, remember Marfuji winning the title was a huge deal in 2006, the junior that won the heavyweight title. But then they gave him one month. And okay, maybe things didn't work out as great. Uh, they made a mistake immediately putting him with Kenta, first of all. It should have been against the heavyweight, uh, his, his first title defense. But then you do this one show that maybe you didn't love, which, by the way, is my literally my favorite match of all time was Marufuji and Kenta, uh, the very first Japanese match I ever watched. Uh, but after that, you go right back to Misawa like one month later. So you they took a step forward, but then pulled back uh, a little bit too fast. They got scared off a little bit. Uh, at the end of the day, but that the Noah deal is wild in, in a lot of ways. But I think that Misawa's ace push in all Japan, and I've always kind of felt that. But as we go into this new year, you know, you started off asking me about wrestling in modern era. I've always thought that Okada's push has a lot of similarities to Misawa's in, in a lot of ways and, and how they wanted to book him. And a lot of the things you could say, although, like, personally, I think Misawa had better matches than Okada, if you're going to put a, you know, a gun to my head. I, I you don't even need to put a gun to my head. I think he clearly is a better wrestler than Okada, quite frankly. But I think that their business effects are very similar in that you have this this guy who is recognized as one of the greatest. You, you, you mentioned the Observer Hall of Fame. Virtually everything I've heard about him bringing, being brought up is that he is one of the greatest candidates ever. And he's a slam dunk vote and should get everything. But if you really look at his push, look at where they've headed. Like, look at where they're at the last two years with his push and with him not being in the main event. They never really adequately prepared for anyone besides Okada because they hyper-focused on him so much that others didn't really get to reach their peak potential and have the runs that they could have had and maybe even should have had uh, with the people around him. And I feel the same way about Misawa in the 90s and that that, there's amazing runs and that holds a special place in my heart. And just like the New Japan run had a special place in many people's hearts. But you can't deny that things have fallen off and gotten stale. And I think that that hyper-focus on a singular star is a big part of it. And I think it could have been handled a lot better. And I think there are very good similarities between both Misawa and Okada in that sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is always better to create a group of stars, not just like I, I've never I've never been a huge, huge fan of the whole idea of the ace of the company, because I do think that's detrimental to overall business. You have to create a group of aces, like a group of people who are going to lead your company into the future you 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 they you know you you make main event stars you make you, i think you should have at least you know four to six main event stars that you can you know you, with you know considering injuries and everything like that that you can slot people at the top and to draw money and then but you know like when they reach the top you gotta start making that new crop of stars and yeah we you know like we talk more about this at, at length, but I, I think for our purposes, you and I made our, made our, made our points very clear here. And, and I want to thank you, Dylan, for, for coming on and picking a great match for, for discussion point of view. I thought this is one of the, the best discussions I've had on the show, because we're looking at the overall history of this, of this feud and of like the, the, you know, of all Japan in general as well. And, and if anyone who you know, enjoyed 
listening to, to Dylan and I talk and want to hear more from, from Dylan and, and check out more of his work, where can they find you, Dylan? Yeah. Um, I completely agree. I really enjoyed this episode. I love talking to you about wrestling. I think you have great insights and great opinions. Although I will say I support the people more. No matter who they like, I will always support you out, out there. But, you know, I, like I said, I really appreciate you asking me to be on this show as I said, I really loved the first episode we did, we did with Kawada, and I think this was a very worthy follow-up and successor to that, and it's side piece, whatever you want to call it. And I like that we got into Misawa a little bit more on this episode, and I, I tried to purposely do that because uh, we talked a lot about Kawada before. So thank you for that, and thank you to everybody listening. If you do want to hear more of me, uh, maybe there are some of you that are like, oh my god, I hate this guy. But that's okay. But if you do want to follow me, uh, check me out on Twitter at viva underscore zero and uh, that's the full word z-e-r-o obviously check me out at eastern lariat that's my podcast i host with my main man striga he runs cagematch.net and uh, i work with him on that as well and we do a show about japanese wrestling together and uh, we've had a lot of fun doing that we're coming up on 200 episodes of the eastern lariat uh, over the last few years i'm very proud of our work on there and uh, specifically mine on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Eastern Lariat. It's great support uh, for, for me on a personal level. And I ha- honestly enjoy doing a lot of the shows that we do on there. There's a lot of different things we can do because there's always like, um, you know, I try to give show reports, maybe, uh, you know, same day, maybe a day or two later about big shows, whether it's New Japan, All Japan, and even smaller companies, you know, like DDT and, uh, you know, even down to the Joshi companies. I'm a huge fan of Joshi Pro Res. Uh, I like all the wrestling in some sort of, uh, you know, way. I always say, like, even the wrestling I hate, I secretly like because wrestling is my whole life. That's the only thing I've ever done with my life was either wrestle or write about it. Uh, on my own old website or do uh, podcasts about it with great people and great hosts to do that with. So it's a great support and great fun for me to cover all the wrestling, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. I try to make it entertaining, do some past stuff with the nineties because I, I love nineties wrestling as well. Uh, hopefully one day I can get into more 2000 stuff, which is, it's a little bit harder because things aren't as documented during that uh, kind of dark era of wrestling. But I have lots of great ideas. Sometimes they even cover American wrestling, too. I'll talk about AEW or, or WWE if they have a, a big pay-per-view show or anything like that. I don't think they call them that anymore, unfortunately, because of the peacock and all of that and whatever is going on. But I always try to cover everything, give everything a fair chance, uh, even if obviously some styles are not my favorite. But at least you'll get some good rants on those as well. There's a lot of heart put into those shows uh, on, on there too. I've covered every tournament too this year. If you love wrestling tournaments, <laughs> the Patreon is where you want to go for sure. Just even if you just sign up for one month and download everything, you have a ton of audio on Champion Carnival. Uh, we did a DDT tag league, a random one on there. The first D King uh, tournament, the second D King tournament we had on there. Uh, G1, N1, uh, Stardom, two, t- two leagues on there, another DDT league. So it's like we have a little bit of everything on there. Uh, great stuff to, to do. And if you're a fan of Japanese wrestling modern day or in the past, always check out my show, my free show, the Twitter, uh, everything like that. I really appreciate all the support out there because we do have a lot of uh, really good and knowledgeable people that always respond to us and say nice things. Uh, and uh, 
I know me and Stringer both appreciate it. And uh, for the purposes of this show, I personally very much appreciate it as well. So thank you, WH, for giving me this platform to speak on my show with, as always. And hopefully I added something good for you and all the great listeners of Post Wrestling, a website that I've always loved as well. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm I'm a patron a patron of of the uh, Eastern Layer Patreon. Uh, I'm on the big hash level. You know, gotta go with gotta go big with the the big Hashimoto level. Only there. five dollars a month for the the you get, biggest. You get tier. a lot of content, folks. Like honestly, like it's a little overwhelming for me as I, I I do try to keep up with a lot of different podcasts. And I always get the notifications in my email. You have another, <laughs> you have another show from the Eastern Lair. You have another, you know, you like, can't get rid of me. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a, there's a, there's a ton of like, it's, it's a, wow. You know, it's a, it's an embarrassment of riches. Shall we say of like, wow, Dylan's got another show. I, I haven't <laughs> listened to the, the last three show he's done because there's, it's Dylan's a very prolific podcaster and it's, it's, it's a really great insight. Dylan follows everything in Japanese pro wrestling. Like I follow very select things. I can't cover everything, but Dylan, Dylan does cover everything. Him and Striga do cover everything. And, and, and Dylan does have other people who help him cover, you know, different promotions in, in, in Japan. And uh, if, if I can give you a sampling of the overall scene, I think if you want more, you know, granular uh, look at it, then definitely Dylan and the Eastern layered are, you know, the, the, the product for you go check them out. I support them. You should too. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, your your support means a lot to me, uh, again, on a personal level, because I, re- I respect you so much. You've been at this uh, way longer than me, to be, to be honest with you. Uh, you. You have a lot more experience on that level. But just the scene, I think um, something that really separates uh, me personally and Striga as well, but I think especially me, if, if we're being perfectly honest, is that uh, kind of what I alluded to earlier, wrestling literally is like, a huge, huge, unhealthy portion of my life uh, in general. So I, I purposely want to follow these things because it makes me feel like uh, I still wrestle, which I, you know, I, in my other wrestling, I had, you know, kind of an injury that took me out. So I can't really do that anymore. Uh, so this kind of keeps me, keeps that flame alive of the thing that I've dedicated my whole life to uh, pretty much. And that's what I, why, even if I don't like something, I, I always say that I secretly like it, even if it's just talking about it, because at the end of the day, I love wrestling no matter what. And I think that's something that I have. Again, I don't don't be like me. That, that's my number one advice. Don't be like me. Don't like wrestling as much as me, because there's so much, especially nowadays, as I said, to, to kind of bring this around full circle is that so many different people have kind of there's almost like different factions of fans whether you're a new japan fan or you're a joshi fan or you're a noah fan it's like sometimes we're seeing that more and that's something i'm very hyped about is seeing uh all the fans come together and i'm kind of like the one person that's in between everyone i don't really have a favorite company but i also don't have a company that i particularly dislike either i'm just i'm kind of just like wrestling no matter what it is and i think that's something that you can always count on with me is that my love and my passion for wrestling uh, if I do this podcast, this Patreon, and we do shows together, me and you, WH, if we do it again for another 45 years, I will still have that passion for wrestling uh, at that point. So that's something that everybody can count on if they support me. Or if you just listen to the free show, I totally appreciate that as well. Well, there you go. Definitely check out the free show, Eastern Lariat, Dylan and Triga, Eastern Lariat Patreon. Um, thank you, Dylan. Uh, thank you to all listeners for, for supporting the show through by the purchase of the long and winding railroad t-shirt, which you can find at store. 
at postwrestling.com. And then, of course, there's also the Post Perez t-shirt. And, you know, we might, I might be having another t-shirt coming out soon, like for another show. That's all I'm going to say. I, I was, I was given some designs earlier to look at and I was like, oh, those look nice. I, I'm trying to convince my good friend waiting to, to like, maybe we're going to, yeah, maybe we should expand to like hats, the, the, the folded brim cap or the dad cap as, as some people like to call it, or, or the snapback, which I'm not a fan of personally, but Hey, it looks good on some people would well, look even good, even better. If you have like this new design that, you know, way and I are, are, are talking about, but, uh, but thank you, Dylan. Thank you to all the listeners. Check me out on Post Perez every month. Check me out on MC Later pretty much every week whenever there's a, a new Marvel show over on uh, Disney+. And, of course, every month on this show. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what's, what's happening in, in, the, the, in the January of 2022. It's, it's, I can't believe we're, we're, it's going to be like an, another year gone by here, Dylan. But, uh, anyways, thanks to all listeners. And until next time. I'm just going to say have a good night and goodbye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.